Welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. Uh, we're coming to you with a, a full-length episode today, and we have uh, Ethan Hirschberger on the show today, and he is a man of mystery. Oh, and uh, you know, we're really looking forward to having him on the podcast. We've been talking about having him on the podcast for a while now. We are just really looking forward to the conversation. He's got some interesting things that I think you can bring to the table when it comes to when it comes to business and life. And it took us, like, I think a full. 30 minutes to get in here and actually get the intro recorded and all that good stuff just because of screwing around. It's all the donuts we had to eat first. (laughs) You brought brought donuts for the law enforcement officer, so everything's fine. Sponsored by Clive's. Make sure I don't get arrested. Yeah, this this podcast is uh, sponsored by Clive's. Come and get the best coffee in Kansas. Yeah, and if you don't know know who Ethan is, that's your fault because he sells the best coffee in Sterling. Oh, shucks. Mm, Whoa, you just outed yourself. You just took a side, man. What? Best coffee shop in Sterling? Yeah. Okay. I mean, next to my coffee that I roast. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I was just trying to give you credit where credit's due. Thanks, man. (laughs) Also, Nate's here. Um, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Nate. Oh, thank you. you. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so, Ethan, just uh, started off with telling us about you, the man, the, the mystery. Oh, uh, the mystery? Yeah. Like. Well, uh, my name, yeah, I'm Ethan. I grew up in Yoder, Kansas, which is... You got to bear with him. He grew up in Yoder, so he's, I, he's not used to technology. I don't, <laughs> I don't speak too good. <laughs> no, uh, I speak okay. Yeah, I grew up in Yoder, Kansas. That's where I'm originally from. I'm not Amish. Never grew up Amish. Everybody thinks I grew up Amish. Um, but yeah, I went to, I just like grew up there, uh, lived in Hutch for a while, lived around the area, went and became a plumber and heating and air guy for a while, and then had a quarter life crisis and decided to start a coffee shop and bakery in Sterling. A, qu- a quarter life crisis? Quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis. Yeah, it's, was, a, it's a thing. We all have it. I, was about I started a hemp farm. Yeah. <laughs> Some so, guys just buy a big four by four. I would say, well, I'm curious what mine is then. Is mine like computers? Computer game? Like, you know, graphics cards? They're expensive. Fair enough. Mining, yeah. mining Ethereum? I don't know. You're, clo- you're, you're getting closer to that midlife crisis area. <laughs> I'm already there, too. <laughs> I, think, I think this podcast is your midlife crisis. <laughs> Yeah, and so I, uh, I don't know, I was a plumber um, for a long time, for a few years, got my license and everything, and just kind of decided I wanted to do something that was a little more risky, I guess, kind of take a step and pursue something that I've always kind of wanted to do, which is own a business, not necessarily a coffee shop or bakery, but it definitely, I think, is like one of the most accessible kind of like businesses to start is like a food service business. And so uh, me and some friends got together and we decided to fix up a building in Sterling. We bought it from the Historical Society there in Sterling. And um, yeah, we... Did, did you buy it before the collapse uh, or post-collapse? After post-collapse. Okay. So they, they had already fixed it when we got it, the collapsed thing, the back end. So the back end of the building had <clears> fallen <throat> down. We bought it from the Historical Society, which... We got a pretty good deal on it, and then we renovated the building. Um, and so it was me, a an electrician, and an engineer. And me and the electrician both had construction backgrounds. So we pretty much rebuilt that whole building ourselves, remodeled that whole thing ourselves while we were doing full-time jobs. So it was a lot of, a lot of nights and weekends. And then, um, yeah, 
started that up and we've been running that for like three years now. Why coffee? Is that something that you've always liked or you've always had a passion for or just um, kind of flip, flip the coin or what? Well, I think, I think there's like when you're growing up, there's something that you kind of latch on to as like a kid that's kind of becomes kind of part of your identity a little bit. Like, so like when I was in high school, like it's definitely starts with like, Ooh, that's like a cool thing that people do. Like interesting people do that kind of thing. And so like being a barista was something that I started doing when I was like 17 or something or 18. No, 19. Cause I had just gotten back from, from Germany. So, Anyhow. So it I, didn't take you long to go from barista to quarter life crisis. Yeah. So what happened was, is I, I became a barista um, when I was like 19 and uh, it was fun and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed like being on the front of the bar and like making drinks. And I've always like, I've always been like somebody who was always trying to figure out the, like the most efficient way to do something. I would be like, like anytime I'd get a rush, what I loved, I loved when you get like six people in line and you're just like going as fast as you can and just flying through the drinks. And so that really attracted me. And so it was something that I learned how to do. And then I ended up going into ministry in St. Louis for a while and that didn't really work out. And then I came back and became a plumber and I was kind of like, I like, like plumbing is fun, but it's kind of slow. It's like you, you have to take your time. You have to think about things. You have to like, there's not like this, like really fast paced, fast paced energy about it. So I had been listening to a lot of like philosophy and like what should I do with my life I'm 22 and uh don't really have a exact drive in life I don't really want to become a plumber I just kind of got that job because of a friend of mine and I needed a job so I went and got a job kind of out of a out of a desire to figure out what I wanted to do with my life to honestly just kind of push myself as far as I could how far can I push myself to learn I'm going to stop being worried about not taking risk. Basically, it was like, I'm going to conquer the fear of taking a risk. And that's kind of where Clive's kind of came from was I wanted to make something that I really was proud of and something that wasn't just your everyday restaurant and also like really take a risk in my own life, make something from the ground up. So that's what I did. So if we, if we back up a little bit, so sorry, did you go to, did you go to, uh, to school in Hutch or? Uh, so <clears throat> like high school or college? Just school in general. Okay. Just, so, well, I was actually homeschooled for most of my life. Okay. Um, until high school. Then I went to Central Christian in Hutch and then I went to HCC, but I never actually graduated. So I'm a college dropout technically, but I'm planning on going back. So <laughs> you get like a big old smile on your face when you say Well, that. the thing is, is like, <sighs> A lot of people think you have to go to college to become something successful, but you don't. It's like, it's true. But the thing they don't teach you is you really have to be willing to take the risk. Something college does give you is it does give you connections and it gives you kind of like a direct, like, like this is what I should go do because this is what I'm trained to do. Whereas like, if you want to go make your own path, first you have to figure out what you want to do first. And that was part of the Clive's thing with me is like, it wasn't exactly that I necessarily wanted to start a bakery and a coffee shop. I do like baking. I do like cooking. I like making food and I like coffee. And those are also things that I know how to do. So that's kind of what directed me. But that whole like entrepreneurship mentality, it's like, where does that, like, it's not exactly, it's not exactly laid out for you. You really have to figure out what you want to do, what you're capable of doing as well. Because you do have limitations. And that's another thing 
that Clive's was for me is it was a, it was a limiter. It was a governor for me. It was like, where is my limit? It's like, where, like, how far can I push myself? And, uh, yeah, I could, I think I pushed myself pretty far at the beginning at least. So, (laughs) well, at least from the few conversations you and I had, you still have things that you're still battling and pushing and moving towards and moving past and. Yeah, I mean, with with a business, with a small business particularly, there's always something that you're adjusting. You're always having to adjust little things, especially in a business that's like ground up. Like you're not just like, I mean, like your business, like you're taking, you're taking stuff that you're growing and turning it into a product. And like, we're not quite that far, but it's like, it's a little bit similar to where it's like, we're taking raw materials and making it into something. It's like, we don't, we don't order in any pastries. We don't order in any breads or anything. We make everything at Clive's. There's always little adjustments to like how you do things, procedures and whatnot to make things better. Yeah. You were saying like, even, even you were finding out what, how much do I make? You know, I'm making too little or I'm making too much or what yeah. is, cause you, you know, you're used to making four or five donuts. Now you have to make say 20. Yeah. Yeah. And adjusting that what, too. And another thing is, Honestly, with a small town, and this is partly a small town thing, because it's like in a big city, what you can do is you make a huge batch, and because you sell enough, you can just throw away the rest and it doesn't matter. But with a small town, you know, you're lucky, you know, it's a good day if you sell out your whole pastry case, and it's like you don't want to overmake because it's like overmake, then you're you're not making a profit because you're throwing it, throwing a bunch of it away. And so there's definitely a volume issue there with a big city running a, uh, you know, a coffee shop or a bakery or something like that. You just keep making and making and making and you, you know, usually sell a bunch of it. And even if you throw away a whole pastry case, you sold, you know, four, five pastry cases worth of, you know, goods. So it doesn't matter so much. With a small town, you really have to pay attention to like events that are happening, pay attention to the weather. And and it doesn't change too much, but it's like if there's a big event happening and I know about it, I'm going to be increasing my stock because I got to be ready for that. And I know it's going to be a big deal. For example, 4th of July, Sterling, it's a huge deal. We always have to like ramp up our, our productivity, have two or three more people on staff for January 3rd, the day before, because the day before is always way more busy than the, than January 4th. So you mean July? Or, yeah, sorry, July. <laughs> July. Yeah, July 4th. I was like, man, you guys are planning way ahead of time. <laughs> All right, guys, January 3rd's here. Yeah. We're going to start planning for the 4th of July. Yeah, no. But, it, yeah, so there's, with a small town, you have a lot of, the variables really affect you a lot more. Whereas, like, in a big city, it's a lot more steady, I can imagine. I mean, I don't know because I've never owned a business in a big city, but. When you worked here in Hutch as a barista, did you guys have, I mean, was it, would you guys sell out? Similar to like Sterling, or was it more of a big city kind of feel? Did um, feel like you could throw some away and still make money. Well, it, it's it's a scale thing because like if you just look at the dollar amount, the differences in sales between Clive's and when I worked here in Hutch, the dollar amount was pretty similar because it was a bigger scale here. The dollar amount wasn't such a big, wasn't as big of a ratio, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's like, say at Clive's, I sell. $400 one day and then $200 the next day. That's that's a big difference compared to here whereas like you sell $700 versus $500 one day because your 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 amount is larger. Your amount per pastry 
Yeah. Like your cost per pastry is more because you've Be- got. Because we're open the same amount of hours yep. every day. So it's like the hourly, the hourly cost of running our business is always the same pretty much. If you're making less money, the ratios get tighter. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to be better on the punch. You have to be more engaged into what's happening in the community. I, I like feel per- that a little bit like with our business, you know, we've got to make minor adjustments here and there. And one thing that we've been debating recently is like, I don't know if you looked at the front of the store, but we've got down both sides, there's our pillars that mm-hmm. have, I mean, they've got a hemp leaf and a sun and a tree and this, and we're debating on taking those off because of the hemp leaf. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just a little bit worried that people are looking at that and saying, okay, Okay, what is this kind of thing? Marijuana in there, or yeah. you know, like the medicinal side of things. Like if that mm. strays away from it, I, there's just always little adjustments that can be made. Like this is another thing. It's like when we first started, I've been kind of all over a little bit, and so like I'm used to like, and I love like weird foods. If I go to a restaurant and I see something that I've never seen before, that's what I'm ordering because I want to try it. No way. That's what I <laughs> no love. Way. Right. <laughs> so because I love to go on adventures. People aren't like that in Sterling, Mm-mm. which is fine. They like the same old, same old. Right, exactly. So what I got to do is I have to, I have to temper it. I have to temper my desire to like make something totally weird and different. So when we first opened, we had three sandwiches. Two of those sandwiches we don't sell anymore because they were weird, <laughs> and everybody was kind of like, "This is weird," and nobody <laughs> wanted to buy it. We had to let me like. Like my business partner was like, man, we kind of like, like, cause I was kind of in charge of the foods and he was like, like, man, I know you're like, whatever you're like, <laughs> you got your heart set on these sandwiches, dude. But I think we should just do like, you know, like a chicken bacon ranch. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, you basically like, got to dumb it down a little well, bit. <clears throat> and also you don't want to, you actually like, like another thing is, is like you, if you can brand something well. So, like, we have a few drinks. We have drinks at Clive's that are, like, our, like, signature lattes. So, we have, like, the Rumblebee, which is, like, a rum and honey drink. And it's kind of, it's branded cool, like, that way. And people are like, oh, that's cool. You don't want to do that with something that nobody knows what it is. If I were to make a drink that was, like, or, like, a sandwich that you name it, you name it something weird and it also has something weird in there, like ginger, that people aren't used to in our area, they're going to never buy that. Nobody's ever going to buy that. You have to make it familiar because familiarity is what sells. And you also want to kind of guide your customer base to try new things because you do like I like it's not fulfilling to me to sell chicken bacon ranches. It's fulfilling to me to sell things that I've created myself. I've come up with the recipes for right. Every once in a while, I'll get some guy like farmer guy come in and he'll be like, that was the best sandwich I've ever had. And I was like, oh, you made my freaking year, dude. Because <laughs> like that is the best feeling is when somebody comes in and it's like, I know you never eat stuff like this. And I'm definitely judging people by the way they look. But when I see somebody like try something and they're like, oh, man, that was really good. And I've never had anything like that. That's what makes me happy. I was the same way with like the affogato. I'd never tried anything like that before. Ever. Yeah. I'd never even heard of that combination before. Ice cream and espresso. I mean, I, I, I'm sure that's a common thing. It's I a, mean, I'm sure it's, it's, actually, not, it's not like... Yeah, it's a super like traditional Italian thing. Yeah, so. but it is really yummy. <laughs> really yummy. Well, and, and when I say when I say no way on trying things like that, yeah, 
is if I go somewhere and there's something I know that I really like, mm-hmm. my wife is the same way as you of like, well, that's kind of cool. I'll try that. Mm-hmm. Well, she goes to a meal and then there are times that she's let down by that meal. Uh-huh. And like, it's not something that is enjoyable. I don't, my fat ass doesn't sit down at a table to not enjoy myself. Yeah. So that's kind of why I stick to the things that I know because I'm like, I know I like that. And there are times that uh, I'll venture outside the box, but it doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because say you told me, Hey, try this. Yeah. And that's also part of building like rapport with your customers. <clears throat> like you get to a point where your customers kind of trust you and it's like, Hey, why don't you try this? And they're like, I don't know. We have a sandwich, the Clive's bagel sandwich at Clive's, and it's like our top seller. And there was a guy there who I was like, I was like, you should try it. You should try it. And he was like, but what if I don't like it? And I'm like, you'll like it. <laughs> and he finally bought like, it. I'll give you your money. He, fin- he finally bought it. And now, like, every once in a while, he'll call in before we're open and be like, I need six Clive's bagel sandwiches. And I'm just like, ah, geez. And they're all for me. <laughs> and they're all for me. <laughs> and they're all for me. <laughs> Like, thanks, man. But also, it's like kind of stressful in the morning because you're like, it's like, ah, I got to be at work in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you an only child? Mm-mm. I'm the youngest. So, I have a brother and two sisters. Brother still lives in Yoder. And my two sisters. He sis- plays instruments. He does play instruments. You know, Nate. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. I know these things, but the listeners don't know these oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is most of your like listener base in Sterling? Probably. I don't know. Oh. It doesn't, I, I don't, I've never seen anything that gave us. So we don't, we don't pay for the like super amazing analytics. Oh, okay. So uh, it doesn't give us any type of demographic <clears throat> okay. information. I do know we have one listener in Boston. Nice. Yep. One of my cousins. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know of at least two in Texas. So, okay. you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I had to learn through this process of, you know, I throw out things like, HGN and then Nate's like what does that mean <laughs> so that having to learn those things so like having to illustrate the point of who you are yeah two people okay yeah so. well yeah I'm uh I'm the youngest of of uh four kids yeah I've got two sisters in Wichita my brother's an aircraft mechanic and a musician I wonder why I got along with him my grandpa did that oh, that was really? my grandpa's trade where's yeah. he work at Wells oh that's where Just my grandpa works my grandpa was chief inspector there he what actually was his name uh, Al Sowers, he was chief inspector of many, many moons ago. Oh, okay. I mean, he's been he's been retired since. He's probably been retired for twenty years. So my brother's been there for like fifteen. Really? Yeah. Huh. I'll, have um, to, I'll have to mention it next time I see him at church. Yeah. Um, and then my one sister is just like a stay-at-home mom. And her, so were you all homeschooled the same way, and then high school yeah. the same way? And yeah, uh, actually, they were all homeschooled pretty much all the way through. And I was the only, they were like, when they got to me, they're like, we're freaking sick of this. We're we're tired of teaching. Get out. Get out now. So that's my family dynamic. Was it, did they, were they just sick of it or were you a pain in the ass? (laughs) (laughs) I I love how we do Let's just say I was getting, I was failing. I was, I was on a straight track to being a failure. <laughs> and they were like, uh, you need more help than we've got. I was, I've always been like the black sheep, not, I don't want to say black sheep, but like I've been the weird one in my family. All my family, they all listen to like bluegrass and stuff, which I actually like nowadays. 
but like in high school, I was like metalhead, like well, I was just death saying, your, metal. Your brother's definitely very. I would I would peg him as reserved compared to you. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely true. He's um, which is not bad. I'm not. Saying no, no, I know. He's yeah, he's much more reserved. He's a he's a really cool guy. He honestly is. He's like a lot more talented and a lot. He's a lot cooler of a guy than he thinks he is. If that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So. I don't know. Uh, definitely, like, there was, you know, obviously, like, brotherly uh, competition and conflict for a long time. But I don't know. I feel like you just get to a point in age where you're kind of like, you just kind of like each other So, as siblings. So what are some of the, I guess, what are some of, the, like, the really big hurdles that you never really thought you'd, you'd consider or you'd have when you did your business? Mm. Things that you were, like, just blown away of or... Well, wasn't expecting that or things you've learned from. I think honestly, the mental battle of it all was a lot more. I mean, I knew it was going to be kind of intense, but some days, like when you get a string of sales that are like really low, some days it really kind of eats on you and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Did I royally screw up? You know, especially in a small town, because it's like you can definitely kind of get that that voice in your head that's like people are talking about me, you know. Especially also being like new to the community and starting a new business and possibly making certain people angry in the community who own other businesses. Other coffee, well, <laughs> other coffee other, shops. Other I was going to say, shop. that was probably one of my concerns. Yeah. And, and there wasn't a concern of like, who's this coffee shop moving into town? It wasn't that. Yeah. But it was almost like oversaturation in my yeah. head. Because you got, you know, basically Sterling's downtown's that like one little block there. I mean, it's, it's basically two, but... Yeah. I was just like, Ugh. I was like, I wonder how that's going to go as far as the competition's concerned and everything. Yeah. And, and that's a fair, that's honestly a fair concern. And from an outsider's perspective, it's like totally justified. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to defend it. Uh, it was just that like, if Clive's wouldn't have started, you've got a big empty building in your downtown. That's just going to be empty and nobody's going to do anything with. I know that like everybody in Sterling's pretty grateful for Clive's being there. Um, I know I am. <clears throat> Thanks. Our understanding of the situation when we started doing Clive's was that the people who currently own the other business in Sterling were stepping down. And we were not in a position to buy their business as it was because they didn't own the building. And it's like we kind of wanted to own the building. And that was kind of the, the deal breaker because we... Like, we had definitely talked about it, yeah. just like buying that business from them. Yeah. But we wanted to own our own building. And so we were kind of like, well, if they're just going to step out of it, it's like, I guess, free game. But then Crosspoint, the church bought that building, but we had already signed loan papers. And so we were kind of like, well, I guess we're going we're, we're doing gonna, this we're gonna be in competition full, full send full <laughs> yeah. send so maybe not the smartest business decision um necessarily but also we were what 24 25 i think i was the oldest and i'm definitely just like a let's do it go for it kind of guy so <clears throat> i mean that business has sold one other time since then and yeah you guys are still here going strong so obviously you're doing something right yeah well, I, was, I will say one thing i want to take away from that too is is that you basically forced broadway market to then be competitive because in my opinion mm -hmm. I, I have a degree in business and so i understand just a few things i've never 
owned a business in the sense of what you're doing of a mm-hmm. open every day kind of a eight to five ish or whatever your yeah. hours are and but stuff. You but like I, I, but I, as far as you know, you you forced competition mm-hmm. because, in my opinion, your your employees are quality, your food is quality, your coffee is quality, and so people are coming to you because you're giving the customer what they want. Whereas I felt Broadway Market prior to Jesus and Tasha, I mean, I think they're doing great mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, I, my wife and I, tr- my wife, I used to only go to Clive's, but after Tasha and, mm-hmm. and Jesus, I kind of try to go yeah, back, and, back forth and forth yeah. a little bit. And that's honestly the win-win solution. Cause I, like there's no part of me that's like, I want to put somebody out of business. Right. It's like, I want to produce a business that is increases the value of the community period. And you kind of see it working. I mean, my other job besides Clive's is hood construction. And we're in the middle of finishing one new house and building another one. And we're remodeling other other houses um, that will be sold. And it's like, that's our Sterling is growing. And so, I don't know. And especially because of the greater like socio-political, economic state of our country where people are moving or moving out of the cities and you know, resettling everywhere. Nobody wants to be in the big city right now. Yeah, well... And yeah, Kansas I mean, isn't bad, but, I mean, you get into Missouri, St. Louis, I mean... Yeah. Houston, Dallas. Well, you, have, you have politicians that are, hey, reelect me and I'll fix it. And they've been saying that for 20 years. Or and, 40 and years. Then they, yeah, and then they get in there and it's the same thing all over again. It's well, like, how, how long is, are we going to beat our heads against this wall? What's stupid is, is politicians senators that are saying i'm gonna fix this town it's like you're a senator you do uh federal laws yeah <laughs> you're not you have nothing to contribute to the city yeah so uh anyhow that's a whole other topic but no, don't worry we can go there if you want. <laughs> i mean i don't care it's a rabbit hole <laughs> but uh like you were back, talking about back to sterling it's like the main goal for me is personal up- uplifting not personal en- enrichment because that sounds terrible because it's not enrichment, and I haven't really made a dime off of Clive's, but it's like it's it's uh, personal growth as a person. Yeah, and that's kind of always been my goal with Clive's, and also seeing how it makes a more vibrant community is also a huge bonus. Because like I love baking, I love cooking, I love making new recipes. I like giving people something, and I don't like just like giving something to somebody that's like, oh, this is a good steak. Like people who've had steak before, it's like, oh, I've had, yeah, this is good, good job on the steak. I want to see somebody like buy something that they never thought they would buy before, try it and like it. Like that is my goal, personal goal with Clive's. Clive's goal as a whole is like community. You know, that's our kind of our mission statement is just building community and enriching community. So you want your food to touch people's soul. Yes. Reach in. I want that. Soul. Just give it a nice caress. Soul food, almost. We can Except we for... can get into the ASMR yes. portion of the show now. This is the soul food. <laughs> this is the soul food, man. Uh. Mm. Um, so, do you have any? Do you have any other uh, aspirations? A- any other business ideas that you're wanting to jump onto? Or, <laughs> well, something that I discovered that I really like making is bagels. I love making bagels. So, like food goals, I've always thought like a. Like maybe a bagel shop in Wichita would be super cool because I don't think I mean there probably is one in Wichita, but 
Like you don't you don't think of a bagel shop in Wichita, but it'd be cool to become like the bagel shop in Wichita or a bagel truck. That would be cool. You know what I found interesting? Um, also, I'm a musician. I have the music on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you just like slide that in. Yeah, I have I have music on I have music on Spotify, and I'm recording more music uh, at the current time. So okay, so hey, how, how do people find you on Spotify? You can find me Ethan Hirschberger on Spotify. Well, I know, but I, I didn't know if there was like a, a special link or something like that. No, I have two songs. <clears throat> what kind of music is it? It's like folk. Just like folk music. What do you play? What all instruments do you play? Uh, just guitar, mainly. Um, before I started Coffee Shop, I used to play shows all the time. I'm trying to get back into that. I've actually played some shows at Clive's. That was my like original dream of life, was to be a musician. But then I realized... It's really hard to be be a musician in central Kansas. <laughs> Not many people are like... Hey, you put your mind to it, you can make anything happen. That's, that's true. But, yeah, so I still do music, and uh, hopefully I can do some shows here in the future, in the summer. So. You're going to do like... Uh gonna do some like headbanging some of your old school like metal high school that's what stuff. i used to play yeah so i used to like shred but um yeah see no do that at class that's hard to everybody do. in sterling would love that yeah, that's so hard to you do would reach yourself. so many people with that <laughs> i bet christian heavy metal the you know co- like the cops mainly <laughs> <laughs> need to turn that down a notch there buddy <laughs> As you see, as you see the windows of Clive's like flexing. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, what's up with all the condensation on your windows all the time? Oh, they're single pane. So when the heater kicks on, the condensation just forms. I didn't know if it was from like your bread making or whatever as well. <laughs> it's so hot in the kitchen. Dude. <laughs> That's because you're in there. Yeah. You're yeah, in there. You're in there, you're in there doing the ASMR. Dough. You're in there ma- doing the ASMR. Yes. You know, touching souls stuff. Yeah. <laughs> putting the special ingredients the asmr in bakery <laughs> yeah uh let me tell you what nate, i wish people could see nate <laughs> there's some like when you do sourdough it is you can make it pretty asmr it's pretty funny see this I'm just is gonna the, leave it I'm, there i'm trying to pull this side out of you i'm trying to pull this i don't know if the, i want the, this the, side the, to come out of me on <laughs> public i'm trying i'm trying so hard to pull it out because we were laughing so much so like let's just say you can make some firm dough in the back of clives (laughs) goodness gracious all right everybody thanks for joining the show (laughs) i'm just kidding yeah i think i'm done with my thoughts well so what do we so let's ask me another question we were talking about uh some political things and politics and we'd never really had anybody that was really willing to get into that on the show, which I think would be something cool to talk about, especially with you. I don't know why. Um, People just have this aversion. They don't want to do it because they think they're used to the Facebook version of it where let's say you and I disagree completely. We have to hate each other. Like that's the expectation. We have to. Also, I think there's also something to do with like being a business owner where it's like in a small town where it's like, I listen to that podcast and that guy thinks this, I'm not going to go to his coffee shop anymore. (laughs) That's actually what would happen. That's the people's minds are that narrow. It's so weird. So I'll give you an example, like an obvious example of this, the whole mask debacle that happened at the beginning. We're a small town in Sterling and everybody's like, and I'm like, do we ask people to wear masks 
Do we not ask people to wear masks? What group of people do I want to piss off? Yeah. You're, again, it's you're like, forced to choose a side. And it's like, what? It's like, I am here because I want to make food and... Trying to get this money. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and making that ASMR yeah, I firm mean, no. Yeah, I wish. I wish. <laughs> no, but like... I'm trying to make a business that at least can support itself and have some employees that, you know, learn some things and also like, yeah, support themselves. And that's my biggest dreams with at least that Clive's location is to for it to support itself. But then we get this whole public health crisis of COVID. I get pulled into this dilemma of do I like ask people to wear masks or do I shut my shop down or, you know. What is the best public relations move to do? And uh, and there isn't one. Po- well, part of the part of the problem is is you have conservatives who will live with the masks, and they'll just be kind of like, "Okay, we get it. Wear the mask. I don't care." But then you have the other side, the more left leaning folks, who are like, "You have to enforce this, or we're not coming to your shop." And so that is part of the reason why I think like the Overton window of politics has slid more left-leaning is because private businesses have realized the more conservative types don't really organize. They just kind of are like grumpy, but they are like, whatever. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Do what I have to do, wear my mask, whatever. I'm not going to boycott this company. I'm not going to, you know, whatever. And so you end up actually... Because of that mentality, it's a lot easier for a private business to appease the minority and not actually skew the, like, demographics of the country. I'm not, I don't care about appeasing the, the right because they're not going to do anything and they're going to keep buying my products. So why would I appease the right? I'm going to appease the left because they're the ones who will show up with pitchforks at my door. <laughs> so. Well, and I think it's interesting too as well because that that appeasement there there's no way to make it to where you do that with you're never everyone. gonna appease anybody yeah and and it's interesting that i see all these companies that they they end up doing whatever the fad is at the time whether mm-hmm. the fad is blm or that equal sign or the black the black square on their instagram uh you know or their social media for their profile picture <clears throat> using nike as an example you know they they literally all their stuff is made for pennies in China with child labor and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they're just doing that to appease you and increase their stock profits and their stock points and all that other good stuff. It's just literally, we're going to move on to whatever the next thing is that appeases those people that you're talking about. They're going to show up with the pitchforks. So they'll just keep buying my stuff. I really don't care about whatever it is. Yeah. Those CEOs don't make money decisions and don't make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars by making decisions based on emotion yeah what's really frustrating is like the companies the private companies that end up appeasing a righteous cause but it's not really righteous it's like outsourced righteousness like the whole like black square on your instagram hey i did this thing that supports black lives it's like that does not support black lives i lived in st louis for a little bit and like not very long and i was part of a ministry down there and it's like if you want to support black lives go down to in some inner city and like teach people how to uh do a trade that's like that's something that i like have thought about it's like why like if we really want to 
elevate the inner cities and help folks in the inner cities, why isn't there somebody like pushing for trades in the inner city? It's like there's a huge shortage of trades for one. It's taxing on your body, but if you want to make some money, you can do some trades and you will make money, especially if you want to work like 60, 70, <clears throat> 80 hours a week. And those neighborhoods need it. Those neighborhoods are run down and in yeah. bad shape and they need tradesmen in those neighborhoods, yeah. you know. And I, and I think another thing of it is it's like those neighborhoods, there's a lot of issues there. It's like when I lived in St. Louis, there was like folks who would like bring in their resumes and it's like, no home address, no social security number, no phone number. It's like name. <laughs> Here's my name. <laughs> and it's like that it's not how you fill out a resume and nobody can contact you. It's like how are we supposed to get a hold of you if we ever want to hire you? It's like nobody nobody knows how to do that. And so there's those kind of problems. I feel like the neighborhoods in the inner cities have been neglected so long and have been the butt end of a lot of, let's say, governmental socioeconomical experiments that it's like they've kind of lost hope. And it's just kind of like, well, if I can get on food stamps to support my family, then that's the best I can do. So then they're relied on the government. And then they're relied on the government. And it's like, I don't want to get a job now because then I'll lose my food stamps. And so it's like, a dangerous like, path. Like teaching, giving, but what's really frustrating is what, what happens with outsourcing righteousness like that is you're giving people an out to not deal with the situation. I did my part. It's like, no, you did not. You right. did nothing. You did, even, you, even. You, you didn't even do nothing. You did negative. Like you did negative one because you're, you think you did something. It's a negative to the actual problem. And even if you donated money, that money did not go to what it was intended no, to like, go to. There's so many Get issues. out and actually do there's something. Non-for-profits, to me, are... Uh, I'm not going to say all non-for-profits are bad because there's definitely non-for-profits that are doing good things. I worked for one in St. Louis. What they did is their idea was to start businesses in the inner city and hire people out of the inner city and teach them how to do jobs. Brilliant. And it worked, but holy crap, it was hard. I was a boy from Yoder, Kansas, dealing with ex-cons in the inner city, and I was supposed to tell them what to do, and that did not work out. <laughs> it's just so aggravating that somebody who wants to preach to, to me about how to deal with stuff in the inner city, like, I don't know how to deal with stuff in the inner city you think me raising my fist or showing up to a march is going to do anything? Create a business plan. Create a path. Create, get together and talk about how you actually deal with the actual problems and figure out what the actual problems are. Because that's another thing. It's like, there's racism. Ah, that doesn't give anybody any direction. That's just a, a thing you're saying. Vote out the politicians that are putting <laughs> these policies in place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well make informed decisions and actually vote. Well, I feel like the government, part of the problem is, is the government is bloat laws. It's just like, what is it that like the average American commits like seven federal crimes a day or something? I don't remember what it yeah. is, but well, it's like something ridiculous because it's like, there's so many laws that like the system's bogged down and I don't know. In my opinion, from the inside of kind of that spectrum looking out, it's, it's more of a control <clears throat> mechanism because... Those laws are never used mm -hmm. until you have gotten the proper amount of attention from the people that can wield those laws. 
at which point now they're used against you. So, you know, I don't think they're used for their proper and intended purposes. I'm, I'm, I lean more towards, I guess, a libertarian set of values. So I firmly believe if you could reincarnate the founding fathers, they would take a look at our government and go, Oh my goodness. Why did you complicate so many things? Why is there an IRS? No, get rid of that. Why is there a DEA? No, get rid of that. Why is there there an FBI? Get rid of that. Like, (laughs) here's the deal, guys. Did you not read this piece of paper that we wrote? It literally says, hey, whatever's not right here is states' rights. So if the state wants to have like a quote-unquote FBI or make a law on something, that's up to them. And that's up to the people in those states to vote on and to, yeah. to do all those things. Um, but anyway, to, before I get down that rabbit hole too far, how, how many of the people that you dealt with were single-parent households in St. Louis? I I didn't deal with a lot of... I mean, like the like, okay, the so, guys you were dealing with, so normally, they came from single-parent households. So normally the guys that I were dealing with were older guys. Mm-hmm. So they already had had their kids kids were grown so the guys who were young like 20s they did not last in this system like this this program at all because they were too cocky like they would literally just be like i don't need this job i can go do this other thing because the job was not let's just say it was a pendulum you do not show up late for this job you will get fired and so a lot of guys did couldn't deal with that. And so it was like, it was really like you show up late three times, you're fired. I don't mean like 15 minutes late. I mean like five minutes late, no call, no call, no show. And you're, you know, five minutes late that that's a strike. So there was a lot of like, and I don't know if I agree with that. I think probably should have given a little bit more grace, but I was not in charge of that. But, um, you know, it was, it was extreme and I think it was, it was good, but the, the people who kind of worked their way through that program, program, it wasn't really a program. It was just like a non-for-profit company basically, were older people who had been, who had lived in that community for a long time, done the whole, like went to prison, had kids, raised them on their own. And then you know, whatever. And they're like, I got to make a change in my life. And it's like, these people are like 50. They're 50 now. By the time you're 50, the chance of you doing something new and creative is pretty much zero. And so it's like, you're the best years of your life are gone already. And now you're trying to fix it. And it's like, how do you catch those people early on? And I think part of the problem with that, that ministry is they weren't, they didn't have the licensing and the skills to teach people how to like do something that made them a lot of money. It was like more like, it was more like basic, like show up to work on time. This is how you run a dishwasher. This is how you, you know, whatever. And that was fine. But what I think, I think should happen is cause it's not, there's nothing is there's like there's no problem with intelligence like it's just like it needs to be there needs to be a bigger bigger apple on the tree if that makes sense it's like there needs to be something like 
hey, if you get through this program, you can make $70,000 a year. Instead of like, hey, if you get through this program, <laughs> you can go find a minimum wage job. Yeah, hey, you, can, <laughs> you, know? you can have a job if you get through this job. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so um, I feel like there should have been a little bit of a bigger apple on the tree. And I think people could definitely handle it. It's like, you can teach people how to do plumbing. You can teach people how to do carpentry. And they were teaching people how to do carpentry um, from a young age. But um, yeah, I think like that's a big thing is like if they, if they had like a plumbing certificate program, that would be cool. Like this is kind of my, my vision of something. I mean, this will, I'll probably never do this, but this is something that I thought of a non-for-profit that is, like financed by plumbing and heating and air companies and those heating and air companies come in and like be like here's a job opportunity for you and maybe you'll like you're like guaranteed to get a job with this company if you complete this training but so kind of like an old school like apprentice apprenticeship yeah, like an apprenticeship yeah. company or yeah an apprenticeship program so it's like you're guaranteed to get a job with this company if you complete the training you won't make as much as like the other technicians for a little bit, but you'll, you know, you'll have a job and definitely going to be more than minimum wage. Yeah. It's going to be more than minimum wage. Like, especially now. Cause like there's like heating and air techs and plumbing techs that are making like 40, 50 bucks an hour. Easy. Uh, especially with like, especially like with kickbacks. Cause like you sell, you know, 10 systems in a month or something like that, 10 heating and air systems in a month, you're going to get a lot of money for just selling those systems from your company. And so I think like a, a, a trades, a trades uh, school that's backed by a, a few different companies that like give somebody something to shoot for. Yeah. And the problem is, is, and the reason this is beneficial to the trades companies is because nobody's taking those jobs. There's like, such I a need even in Sterling such, for Well, right I now. was talking to the Decker and Madison guy uh, yesterday, and he's like, I can't find anybody, and all my all my old guys won't do crawl spaces and won't do attics because they're old, and they don't want to do that anymore. So it's like, where do I, like, I guess I'm not doing those jobs anymore. I'm just going to do new construction. And if you can support your business like that, fine. But you're missing out on a lot of cash if you're, you know, if you're not going to do any of those attic jobs or crawl space jobs. Especially like we talked earlier, like Hutch, they're not building any new houses in Hutch. Yeah, it's all re- it's all going to be repair work here. And companies that don't have guys who are going to do crawl spaces and attics, you're not going to make any money here because the majority of old like old houses here have crawl spaces, and that's where most of your plumbing's at. So. Well, that's like I tell my kids, you know, if you when you go to school, you don't necessarily have to go to college. If you want to go and be an HVAC tech or a welder or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And just because you hold this piece of paper that says you went to school for four years doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be mm-hmm. successful or make any decent money. It's just it's whatever you choose. And I yeah. think it's important to I'm just curious of what the drive to get away from that is. I, I wonder if it's just because there's so many jobs with tech these days of it's think easy to sit behind a computer and nobody wants we to grew do up and we're labor. educated and like 
were looked like you need to go to college, you need to do this and that. Like you don't want to do construction. It was like looked down on essentially, you know. I mean, I <clears throat> yeah, you want to be a construction worker your whole life. Yeah, you better go to college. No, you don't actually. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is hard on your body. But like, out of high school, out of a two year trade school, you could be making fifty grand a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for real, you can be twenty two making making fifty grand a year pretty easily if you're in Kansas City. I was looking at jobs in Kansas City. They they were saying they were paying like thirty to fifty dollars an hour for new hires, which is like unheard of for here. Yeah, that's <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I don't make that much here, and I'm you know I've got three four years under my belt, but it is like it's really hard on your body, and that's that's one reason I'm actually going to go back to school. But I do think like. I think the whole thing where it's like you get out of high school and you immediately you immediately go to college is kind of a bad deal because it's like you don't you don't really learn what you want to do. You're not mature enough You're, yet. Yeah. And that's another thing is like the whole thing with like not having kids who have jobs like young. It's like they don't like if your kids don't have jobs when they're young, they'll never learn what they want to do because they don't have any experience. So it's like, I don't know. And that's just the education, like, in high school even, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. Nickerson didn't have a decent welding. I mean, it was okay when I was in school, but they just upgraded their welding shop finally. And they're putting a small engine repair shop in there. And it's just that kind of stuff went away for a little while. Yeah. And it's starting to make a comeback. I think trades are really going to start to – it's it could – that's where the money's at right now. So it's going to be, it's the pendulum swinging yeah. back and forth, you know? Well, I think, I think that's how, I mean, like my I call, tra- I think trades are going to like trades could save the inner city. Like they really could because the problem is, is a lack of resources. The reason people don't want to improve their lives, can't improve their lives is because they have no resources. Like that's why Hutchison is the way it is. <laughs> No offense to the Hutchinsons, Hutchinsonians, but it's like there's no resources. There's Hutchinson. There's no resources here. There's no like, like there's only outgoing, outgoing cash flows in Hutchinson. It's like there's no industry. The money circles around in here, and then it slowly goes out because people go to Wichita. Any big purchases, it's not coming back here. I mean, maybe you got like what Alcoa, or. Co- Alco, mm-hmm. Alcoa, it's Alcoa, I Alcoa, uh, Lowen maybe. Like, there's a few places that like do some bigger work, but like ever since what was it, uh, Cessna, Cessna, and Eaton, Eaton, like ever since they left, ever since the industry left. I, I guess you also have Simmons too, don't you? Or Siemens, Siemens, yeah, Siemens. But they produce the wind turbines. Yeah. They're, but they, I think they closed or yeah. downsized a lot recently. Well, that's because. Yeah, I kind of know why that happened, but it's like basically the the uh, <laughs> the management or the you know the higher ups they basically like didn't jump on a trend that was happening in the wind turbines and fell behind behind their competition and now they had to close a bunch of plants. But Hutch has been forty thousand people for like forty years. <laughs> Seriously, it's been yeah. stagnant for a long time, and it's it's not growing. You know, I I do like Hutch. You know, I feel like there is still potential and there's room for growth and for businesses, but it's just, it's tough going in Hutch. It yeah. really is. 
Well, like the first new thing that really happened to Hutch in the last bit, besides, uh, you know, High Point Farms, <laughs> is uh, Salt City Brewing and uh, High, High, uh, High, what is it called? Sand Hills. Sand Hills. I said Highland. I don't know what I was thinking. Highland. Yeah. I was thinking High Point. But uh, yeah, Sand Hills Brewing. It's like these new breweries. But it's like that's not industry. That's yeah. That's just like business, essentially a business, restaurant. Business, yeah, it's essentially restaurants. And uh, but at least with those restaurants, it's not uh, this big corporation where the money is leaving here to go to some yeah. big corporation headquarters where it's going to be funneled from there. But but even if there was like a big corporation that like there would still be like welders and you know, uh, guys working on the line, like what it, McPherson has Pfizer and, uh, Viega. And like yeah. They got the, big, all the oil refinery and big, John Mansville, big, big manufacturers where it's like, yeah, the, the money, like the, the bulk of the money may not be staying here necessarily, but there's a lot of people who are making a lot of money off those companies and that's returning money back into the community where it's like here, it's like, there is nothing like that. It's like in Sterling, they have JCAM and uh, KMW. KMW. There's a lot of people that drive from Hutch to go to McPherson to work or yeah. Sterling to JCAM or yeah. Wichita to... Sterling to JCAM isn't very far. Or from <laughs> Hutch to Sterling to JCAM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's the other... There's another one in Sterling. Um, KMW? Well, we, there's, we a, got... there's a ethanol plant. The ethanol Kansas ethanol. Kansas ethanol. Well, and you got like home lumber too. They're growing. Yeah. You know, as far as, especially when they're moving the shingles and stuff, like they've even well, in the outgrown college, where they're at. There's a rumor college. that they bought the farm supply building. Someone bought the farm supply building. We don't know who it is yet, but home lumber's got a bunch of lumber stacked out yeah. in front of it. <laughs> Probably home lumber. So I'm pretty sure they bought it. Um, uh, we were getting ready to talk about something and then we started talking about home lumber. I blame you. I can edit this out, so it's okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I gotta, gotta keep friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, well, I mean, Sterling Services is decent Ooh. industry because, uh, I mean, it, it, when they were doing the actual handwriting where people were handwriting, yeah. did you realize Sterling Services was the biggest employer in Rice County when That's they were crazy. actually doing the handwriting? Now, now they've got like those handwriting Robots. machines. Yeah. So they still do some stuff with handwriting, but you know they they're moving, you know, I would say in the millions of pieces of of uh, mail through Paper, there, mail. and so that's what keeps the post office because they're closing post office down Sounds all like over a, in small small towns and keeps that. Sounds there. like a small time money laundering business. <laughs> they got the printers and everything. Hey, uh, Dave, just in case you're listening to this, um, we hope to have you on the podcast sometime. <laughs> yeah, thanks for selling us that building, Dave. <laughs> Clives, we really appreciate it. He well, was he was the head of the or part of the historical society when we bought that. Were they storing stuff in there? Mm-mm. No, nobody was storing anything in there. I did, did. I ever tell you I spent a large portion of my life in that building? Your your building? You were born in that building? <laughs> yeah, sure, definitely. <laughs> no, my mom worked for Brock Pharmacy. Oh, okay, and so I spent a lot of time at the old soda bar and puffing on the. Uh, they had. They had a. Don't puffing look at me. The, look, I'm trying to explain myself. The, don't look uh, look at me like that. He's aging himself the, right uh, now. Uh, they had they had displays of pipes. Oh, of pipes. And so I would like get it off the display and put it in my mouth and act like Dude. I was smoking. 
and I would always get in trouble. So I'd like throw it under the display. I think you told me that. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we still have those displays. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, the pastry case is actually one of them. And the big mirror behind the bar, Mm -hmm. that's another one of them. And then we have a bunch more that the actually the, oh, the Fredericks, they're a big, big, uh, money a farm <laughs> they you know they they go out and farm every farm do the farming stuff you know <laughs> you know when people like plow the ground and stuff and plant seeds <laughs> they do a lot of that <laughs> uh, are you trying to say big business yeah they're like a yeah and i guess that's alden that's alden but nobody spends any money in alden because there's nowhere to spend any money yeah um, but yeah, they're storing uh, some stuff for us because um, Caleb, my business partner, is good friends with Lance and Lynette Frederick. So yeah, I uh, I really I really miss those times. I wish I wish somebody would have told me back then that those were like the best days of your life. Mm. Uh, just being around Jim Brock and and his wife and uh, he has a drink named after him. You know that sort of the the his, Brockwood his pharmacy. Yeah, yeah, the Brockwood. Um, but he was just a, a good man in general, kind of the 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 broke God broke the mold afterward kind of guy. Just a super good dude. Yeah. Really well, a real big supporter of the college. Very glad I named a drink after him. Then, well, I didn't, but yeah. Well, how did so? Let's let's talk about that. So, Clive's has when we're talking about names. Clive's has an interesting name plus like an interesting Wi-Fi password and then like an interesting story of how all that <laughs> of how all that came together. Oh, yeah. what, like what what was what was the vision there? So why Clives? Why all that? This may not be, you know, this is public knowledge, but I don't know how many people know it. But Clives is after actually named after a author, um, C.S. Lewis, who is the author of um, the Chronicles of Narnia is his most like well-known but uh, he's also the author of some other books that are ones that like I, I like them actually much more than Chronicles of Narnia. The uh, Space Trilogy, which is like probably one of my best, like my favorite series, like fiction series there is. And uh, he also is like like a philosopher, theologian kind of guy. And he's got some really, really good in-depth stuff that i would highly recommend if anybody wants to read any of this stuff we have some books at clive's if you want to come and grab one off the shelf and read it so and buy coffee and buy yeah well, buy coffee. <laughs> no definitely get the affogato always start with the affogato yeah, get the affogato it's definitely like a nice uh saturday treat um that's never good. it's good it. every day it's yeah. good every day you don't have to watch your figure this but, is America. Uh, this is we, we do everything to gluttony. Okay? Yes, yeah, yes. Don't watch your figure. Um, so yeah, it's named after C.S. Lewis. Um, some of the drink names are named after like some of the characters in his books. So the Doctor Ransom, which is our most popular drink, is named after a character in the Space Trilogy. Is the main character. Um, so that's cool. Um, we have a sandwich called the Rumble Buffin, which is like a honey. And mustard pork sandwich. What'd you call it again? The Rumble Buffin. Rumble Buffin. Buffin. Rumble Buffin. Which is okay. named after one of the giants in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Good sandwich, had, by the way. We had another one named the Wimbleweather, 
This is one of the ones that sucked. <laughs> it actually didn't suck. It was delicious, but uh, nobody bought it. And it's called the Wimbleweather, which is named after another one of the Giants. I thought it was cool to name sandwiches after Giants, like heavy, meaty sandwiches, you know. And so that one was like a spicy ginger pork sandwich, which was pretty phenomenal, but didn't make the cut. So, uh, and then we've got the Snow Queen, which is a reference to the White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia. Then we have the Rumblebee, which is just like a play on words. It's rum and honey in the drink. And then not real rum, because we do not have a license to sell alcohol. And um, That's his story, and he's sticking to it. Yes. Why not? Um, I will not not deny that we take some of the alcohol that we use to make things in the back and after hours maybe make a rum and coke <laughs> here or there. <laughs> that's that's very different from selling at retail. That's like very, very different. Oh, yeah. It's totally different. <laughs> it's just like, you know, consuming product that, yeah. Just a speakeasy product. after dark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He, he wishes the back half of the building wouldn't yes. have fallen so he could have had I like say, a full I say, of... I come into my own shop and I say, Ethan, would you like a rum and coke? And I say, yes, I would. <laughs> it only admits like two or three members, my wife and my business partner's wife and my business partner. So how did you meet your wife? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, the magic of Clive's is love. <laughs> uh, the magic. Uh, <clears throat> we may have started Clive's to um, become better men and push ourselves and grow ourselves as humans. But also we may have started Clive's with... Kind of a secondary goal of being married. <laughs> <laughs> we were a single man, very lonely in the world. And um, yeah, well, we and had, all you had were your rum and cokes. All we had was our rum and cokes and dreams. And, uh, and a coffee shop. And a coffee shop. <laughs> Let me tell you what, owning a coffee shop gets you married quick. <laughs> and uh, so... I, I feel was, like we're damn, doing like that's the, where I went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing like the Dr. Phil advice here. Yeah. Now. People just think I'm a pothead. I just yeah. need to be a barista. So you feel like you can find nobody? Have you tried opening a coffee shop? <laughs> uh, you got any openings? <laughs> I mean I'm sure we have a pretty we have a pretty good statistical average of people getting hired and working for us and getting married. So um but yeah, I uh, started Clive's and uh, this girl kept coming in and I was like, she seems pretty cool. And uh, I heard her talking to my business partner one time. She was talking about the, basically like the importance of symbolism in theater. And I was like, that sounds like something I can get on board with because. And right then and there, if I you don't marry me, if, if you're, uh, if you ever have any deep conversations with me, it will probably get into uh, symbolism and the meaning of life and um, why, I don't know, our actions are much bigger than our own um, beliefs. I don't know if that makes sense. But anyhow, so she started coming in and I was like, this girl seems cool. So I started making custard and pastries and being like, hey, try this new thing I'm making. Hey, try this new thing I'm making. And... Um, yeah, I eventually, she just like 
waltzed into the shop one night and um I was driving by and I saw her in there and I was like, I'm going to stop in and talk to her. So I stopped in and talked to her. Firm dough. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's later. Anyhow, um, uh, we'll stick with just the beginning of the story. And, uh, so she was sitting there in the chairs and I sat down and talked to her and they were like, Hey, we're closing the shop and leaving. I was like, okay, see ya. (laughs) And, uh, so they all left and I sat there and talked to her and, um, went up to her car and I was like, you seem like a pretty swell lady. And she said, you seem like a pretty swell guy. And I was like, can I have your number? And ever since then. It's been and the it's rest been, is history. The rest is history. Honestly, if I can if I can say one thing about relationships, if there's any young people out there thinking about being in a relationship or having questions about being in a relationship, <laughs> Nate, <laughs> Nate here, not my brother. Oh. Um, and uh, <laughs> good thing you good yeah. thing you said that. I can't see your brothers be listening. Go what the <laughs> what the heck? No, uh, if it doesn't feel natural. It's probably wrong. Like, the thing about Arden was, is like, I never had, like, a little thing in my brain that was like, there's something wrong here. Like, there was never, like, a hesitancy. It just felt like, it felt smooth. It was just like, I'm really glad I'm around this person. And um, there's nothing in me that's saying, like, like, hey, dude, there's something wrong, you know. So run, run away, run away. So no, that is my, no more firm toe. That's my that's my relationship advice. Also, own a coffee shop. <laughs> that's where I went wrong, man. Guaranteed to get you chicks. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> one of our early employees, um, Hannah Luter, uh, was. We were in the back one time, and she was talking to me, and she was like, "So you started this business to get married." And now you have no time to go on dates. And I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I had been work. I was like working like 12, 16 hours a day. And it was like, I was like, I don't know if I, this was the right decision. So what's your scalability going to be like as far as are you looking at opening other coffee shops? Because you talk about how, you know, you feel like you, you haven't made any money. Oh. And so what's, what's. Well, the- not all, not all. Not all things that are golden are money. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just no. asking you if you had other plans oh. to expand it. Well, I don't know. It's kind of up in the air. I think there's still a little bit of growth we could uh, do at Clive's. Um, and I don't want to say we haven't made any money because it's like there's times where it's like, like, like I haven't really taken money from the business as like, like oh, we were did really good this quarter. I guess I can take an extra you know whatever ten yeah, percent off the top. Right. It's never been like that. It's always like, it's like oh we have extra money now. Let's buy this. Uh, let's piece buy of this equipment or something piece like of that. Equipment. Yeah. yeah. So like most people we, reinvest back into the business. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's pretty much what we've been doing. Right. Just like buying new equipment and trying to better the back, like the... Make it more efficient. Make it make the kitchen more efficient to give the customers a better experience. Um, So, uh, and that that progress is really slow, you know. It's like, you know, it's just little baby steps at a time. 
and then you know that slowly builds because it's like as it gets better more people notice and um yeah so uh that's kind of where clive's is at is just like in this period of like we're growing but slowly so how do you source your coffee um well that's really a question for a roaster so well but i mean as far as we don't where do you do where, where do you buy it i mean like what how how oh. did you decide on what you're selling uh so clive's actually started as a catering business um so we were actually we started um like going to weddings and serving lattes and stuff at weddings that is like it was kind of becoming like a huge hassle running the shop and doing the catering stuff so we don't really do the catering thing anymore because it's like bringing an espresso machine right anyhow but originally adding more into your already packed schedule so we originally i like when i first started i was like i kind of i was familiar with the coffee world so i kind of knew like some of the bigger names so like you've got like intelligentsia onyx pts messenger uh verve corvus 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 there's a bunch uh there's one out of oklahoma that's really good too but these are like big not big but like they're like specialty roasteries that are doing really good work when it comes to just like sourcing their coffee and getting consistent blends and consistent beans and uh, we chose this brand called, or this company called Onyx, um, mainly because I was like, they're cool. Like, they look cool. They have a nice look to them, aesthetic, and they're, they've are they won awards. So I was like, I looked at their awards. And then we also have uh, a local company um, called Pennant Coffee. They're out of McPherson. And the reason we got from them is because they... They have a coffee shop called Craft Coffee Parlor, or they're linked together, basically. Like, one of the owners of Craft Coffee Parlor started a roastery called Pennant. And so, I've been, like, I've always been impressed by their product. And so, I find we're like, well, it's local. I'm impressed with it. We like it. Get it. And then, just recently, um, there's a small roastery that has started in Sterling called Table Coffee. And it's really phenomenal they do a really good job for being like a husband and wife in their kitchen or something notice how he didn't mention any of the coffee that i brought to him you don't have a brand terrible you don't have a brand dude yeah i do it's a it's a silver bag (laughs) (laughs) i bring you non evidence i bring you nondescript silver bags (laughs) this is a bean um so, uh, yeah, those are our, like, main companies we get from. Um, really impressed with Table, um, mainly because they're local and they're also really good. And they're, yeah, great, great folks. It's definitely a, uh, I think that's the thing that I like about roasting it is you can kind of play with it. You can kind of do different times, different heats, different ways of moving it around, different and, and not only that, but now you have all these different regions of coffee that are grown in different elevations mm-hmm. and different places. And, and that's, I think that's just what I like about it. Plus I, I, I'm, I'm a person where I like to do it myself. Yeah. I don't really like relying. I shouldn't say I don't like relying, but 
well, there's just, anything that's worth doing, I want to know how. Yeah. To oh, do understanding it. it. Like yeah. understanding it. Like something I've been like like trying to figure out for the last few years, like when I think of it, I'll like watch a video about it. It's just like how computers work. Like I grew up in Yoder. I have never had a computer class in my life. But like like realizing that like how computers work like blew my mind. I was like that's how they work. That's crazy. And so I, what's even more crazy is like our our voices are literally being put into ones and zeros in this computer right now. Yeah. Like somebody figured all ones that out. Ones and zeros into this board. Well, like pulses of electricity right. into this board and then are like processed. Yeah, so it's all it's all digital. Yeah, it's all it's digital. It's so crazy. Anyhow, but coffee like learning how to like just like understand what the things like how the things around you work that's another good way of like if you're a young person trying to figure out what you want to do with your life like just learning about the things that are around you it's like how do the things around me work start tinkering right yeah start tinkering start exploring it's like driving down the highway it's like well how do they decide where to lay highways how do the highway systems work it's an interesting thing when i when i started doing plumbing and i learned like the amount of infrastructures that go into cities that blew my mind especially when i think about like la and like how old that city is it's like what 100 200 years old or something yes it's pretty old i don't know when la yeah it's not that old look it up i am thank you don't goodness (laughs) but it's like it's like you look at that and you're like how many man hours were put into developing a plumbing system for a city that's that big that's just like mind-boggling, and it's Los Angeles is two hundred and forty years old. Still, I don't care. It's like two hundred forty <laughs> years. How many square miles is that of just like a plumbing grid, electrical grid? Yeah, internet grid. And the way and the way it used to be was that it all just went out hand into dug. the ocean. Yeah, well, they hand dug and then everything just dumped into the ocean. Yeah, gravity fed. Yeah, nuts. Um, so to, to back up a little bit, you were you were talking <laughs> Speaking about of plumbing. You were talking about uh, how a coffee shop is what is what gets you women and stuff. <laughs> and you talked about and you talked about welcome to my brain. Woman, you're gonna get one woman. Okay, <laughs> if you're Nate, if you're Nate, it gets you women. Okay, um, but I, I don't own a coffee shop, so man, you went wrong. That's what your problem. You see, you went into hemp instead of coffee. You need to. You want to be a partner? <laughs> Let's open a uh, whoa, whoa, bagel whoa. shop. Hey, you said you already found your woman. You don't need another coffee one. shop dispensary. Coffee shop in Wichita. Coffee shop dispensary. It dispenses <laughs> coffee shop. Coffee shop and dispensary. <laughs> whoa, dude! So, so we were talking about how uh, just getting to know the the environment around you and tinkering with things. So. You talked about your how to get your woman and your marriage advice, and so here's my here's my dad side of this thing. So uh, for those of you listening, and also you gentlemen, if you ever end up wanting to have kids, you'll find out that your kiddos, you know, they learn by like playing with things. You know, first it starts with you know they when they're really little of picking it up, manipulating it, putting it in their mouth, and that kind of stuff, so on and so forth. Well, when they get older, they want to start manipulating things. Like, for instance, uh, taking apart a washing machine. Well, you'll find that, say, like my 13-year-old, he has he's going through puberty. And I'm sure you guys remember that of just like those jolts of like electricity going through your body that you just felt like you could 
run for 20, you know, 20 years and you were good to go. Well, he would take it out on things or he would break things or whatever. And it's like, hang on a second, actually take this apart, take that energy into taking it apart, seeing how it works and put it back together. Like what you're feeling is completely natural, perfectly natural and a part of growing up, but you're basically showing them how to funnel and channel that into something productive and useful. So temperance. Yeah. That's where, uh, welcome. That's where my brain went from, uh, having a coffee shop to get a woman to this. So welcome to my brain. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I kind of get it. Cause it's like, I, I get where your brain went that way. It's cause it's like, like part of me owning Clive's is temperance. It was temper. Like, like I have all this energy. I have, I have all these out. women coming in and I had to choose one. <laughs> no, it's like, well, Never mind. <laughs> like I have all this. I hope my wife isn't listening to this to podcast. Say, oh, she probably is. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be great. No, like, like what I'm trying to say is, like, I, stay I have all. I had all this single bachelor energy of being like, how, like, where am I going to? How am I going to, like, put that out there? You know. And so it's like I'm temp. Like what you're talking about is like a 13 year old, like, trying to find the temperance to make his energy useful. And that's what I was trying to do is like, how do I, how do I like put myself out into the world to where I'm useful? And that's really what people want, what you want out of life. That's, that's how you're going to get meaning. It's like, how do you become useful to the world around you? That sounds kind of weird, but it's like, if you want to be, if you want to be fulfilled in life and you want to become satisfied with your life, you want to learn how to put yourself into the world to where you're useful and um, you're not like pent up all the time and always regretting and always feeling like you never did the thing that you wanted to do. Those people that regret like that, they're they're takers. All they do is take and take and take and take, you know, like they're just well, they're using the system. They're just not giving back at all, you know, like we yeah. need more of that, really. We need people who are giving back to society and creating mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And I feel like, I feel like, I don't like to blame things on society, but I do feel like society has not done a good job of, like, taking young men's energy and directing it. Like, making it, turning it into something useful. I wouldn't necessarily say society. I would just say parents. I think it's easy for... It's easy for us as parents because I'm going to tell you one thing. Raising kids ain't easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, uh, especially dealing with my 13-year-old lately has been quite interesting. But mm. it's easy for us to take a phone or a tablet or a computer or a television and throw it in front of them and allow you know, basically that to raise the child versus being invested in them. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of my mantra <clears throat> is there's a podcast I listen to called The Order of Man. Mm-hmm. The protect, provide, pro- protect, provide, preside, Ryan Mickler. And so he, and while, while technology is great, don't get me wrong. That's, I'm not, I'm not demonizing technology, but it's, it's to the point where, um, I think that it, it's being relied on a little too heavily, you know, uh, for instance, that's why the trades, I think some, some of why the trades aren't getting the attention that they deserve because I'm used to this doing everything for me. Mm-hmm. And, so I don't have to, I don't have to actually do anything. I don't have to actually learn anything. I don't have to actually 
yeah. physically do anything because the technology does do so much for us. Yeah. And but it does have its limitations. And what's interesting about that, I've thought about this. I, I've had these thoughts about like, um, like <clears throat> why does it make me feel weird when I see a kid who's always on a tablet or a phone? Why does that make me feel weird inside? It's like, he's obviously entertained. He's not bothering anybody. It's like, why does that make me feel weird? And I think it's because what he's doing is not embodied. He is not taking the things he might be learning and actually applying it to his physical reality. And it's like, you're not, you're not actually, you're, you're learning the idea of something. Like learning the idea of something is so much different than, than doing it. Yeah, then the application. It's like you're. It's like you have a degree in business. I've run a business, and that doesn't put me above you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, there's a different type of knowledge that comes with an embodied learning, and that's what is scary about the future generations that are raised on tablets and phones. It's like they're not in. They don't have any physicality into the world that they're creating in their brain. They're creating a world in their brain that is controlled with these, their thumbs. They're getting ready for the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> really? So, but it's like technology, technology chases society and society chases technology. And it's like, that's just kind of the way it is. It's like technology does drive society, but also entrepreneurship and innovation response to society and so it's like you've kind of created this cycle where it's like we're slowly losing our embodiment it's like we're no longer like as a society we're no longer like realizing the things that work well i mean look at life look at it this way look at uh, just one of the simplest things of that everybody can understand life and death pretty binary mm -hmm. right you're either alive or you're dead I mean, yeah. looking at it, it's, it's, you know, we can, we can talk about, about li living, we're talking about, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, well, our stuff's getting ready to explode. It's nice knowing you guys, <laughs> uh, the, the, the NSA, we're on a list now, um, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that we can get into the talking about the living versus being alive and that kind of stuff. But death used to be a very, uh, close thing to families when, you were in even even in recent times if you died it was definitely a very much a family affair i mean i took a class on living and dying where they talked about family members they couldn't afford to get a coffin big enough to fit their family member so they would literally have to break their family members legs to get them to fit in a coffin so when you talk about the physicality of life like those are the things that again this stuff is being done for us and we're not really learning the skills it used to be that if you wanted clothing, you made it. If you wanted to get food, you went and found it. Mm -hmm. uh, you knew, like, I don't know how to clean a deer. I've watched a video, but I've never done the physicality of cleaning a deer, ever. Oh, That's yeah. not something I've done. My brother-in-law has been hunting a lot, and I've kind of wanted to go with him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's a valuable skill to know. And I think when you talk about that physicality of it, I just, I just have that thirst for wanting to do things. And I think that's also why Nate and I have this podcast is just that thirst of just wanting to know people and talk to people and do things and establish relationships i know we've said that like a million times it seems like up to this point 
but the that physicality of taking it out into the real world and applying what we're doing to whatever it is you know i i personally you know i i work for the man quote unquote and i work the schedule the man tells me to do and that's not necessarily something that nate aligns with but it doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can't bring to the table you can't bring you know because we even discussed there are times that you want somebody that works that eight to five monday through friday and just punches the time card you know you, you can't have you can't have the whole world full we can't, of we can't all CEOs. be entrepreneurs yeah yeah can't all be entrepreneurs so uh, what is it only like six to eight percent of people are actually like true entrepreneurs and can handle the entrepreneurship lifestyle well i mean what was it i heard a, a thing that somebody said warren buffett won't even invest in an entrepreneurial company until they've had at least like two or three or four failures or something like that in a business like mm-hmm. he won't even look at you until you've had that much which yeah. I thought was interesting because you learn a lot. But. but Donald Trump is a terrible person because <clears throat> he's been bankrupt multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> Just means he's, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know what, Edison failed how many times before he made the light bulb? Yeah. Well, um, and even then, think about. That's that's another thing. And I think, okay, so this is another thing that I, I want to talk about with, in, like, I mean, I'm obviously not in charge of this podcast, but <laughs> this is something that the beauty is, is yeah you are because curious let's that talk I'm curi- about anything i'm and curious about is that that embodiment thing with kids it's like they aren't learning to fail yeah like 100 percent. my kids struggle with that i'm not even joking they're not learning to fail and it's like that is something you have to know how to do as a business owner here's your participation you, trophy like literally i'll give you a story about when we were first running clives i had two guys come in they ordered sandwiches and I was walking around being like, hey, how's everybody doing? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, our sandwich meat is raw. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know how to deal with it because it was like, it kind of drove me up a wall because I was like, ah, geez, I screwed up. And like, I really had to come to terms with failure. And that is not like, like, um, that's the only time I've known that that's happened at Clive's. And it was like early on, early, early on. So hopefully that will never happen again. Um, but there have been a few moments in my life, like leaving ministry was kind of one of those failures. It, it really, like, I was pretty, pretty depressed for a pretty good while. And there's a moment where my mom was like, what did they do to you? What did they do to you, Ethan? And I was like, I was like, I don't know. I just like, I felt like I had, I had, it's like everybody has a dream and you, you, you pursue that dream. And when that dream does not work out in reality, as you perceive it should, you have this existential crisis. And that's what happened to me with ministry. And like, so after that, I'm like, I guess I'll go clean poop out of toilets and I was like, wow, thanks, God. Now I'm going to be a <laughs> humble person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I did that. And it's like, that's that's what's scary about the metaverse and the phones and the Wi-Fi and the Internet. It's like you can create a world where you never fail. They call that the Internet of Things, by the or way. Or you can, or you can, you can die a million times in this game, and it doesn't matter. You're, you can, you'll still get those 
hundred golden stars that you want in that game. You'll well, get that achievement. And it's like, you're not getting real achievements and you're not learning how to f- fail, like really fail. Like dying in a game, video game is not failure. It's like, it's, it's not, it's like real failure is putting yourself out there as a business and then talking to somebody and they're like, you cook this wrong and it could poison me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> or I can imagine you have to deal with that almost on a daily basis because it's like, do I arrest this person because they might hurt somebody? You well, here's, here's the difference though for me is uh, my failure can land me life in prison. Yeah. And there is no my bad or I'm sorry or I'll never do it again or anything like that. So definitely. Um, but I, I think that I, I firmly agree with, you know, the, the failure aspect of it is, you know, I don't really want to get on like the whole participation trophy. Cause I think that's been beat to death by literally everyone. But um, there are times that it's like, yeah, you, you're not going to finish first every time you're not going to get something every time. It's like my kids, um, you know, whenever they, like, let's say, for instance, they do their chores without having to be asked. Mm. Sometimes I will reward them with something. But sometimes I just say, hey, thanks. Mm. And that's all you get. And um, I think that's what's uh, not only not only the failure, but also, a, you know, reward system of just because you did something good doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get something for it. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, is I think it's also an interesting play on words because... I talked to a guy when I was going through my business degree that I asked him about, like, what were some of your failures? And he kind of looked at me like, what? Like, what do you mean? Because he didn't, he didn't necessarily look at them as failures. He was like, those weren't failures. Those were just learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you should look at yeah. it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure you learned from that when it came to making the next sandwich. Yeah. Uh, and so far as I know, there has not been a sandwich served like that again. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's just the thing is the only thing that can be asked from you through that process is that you just learn from it and yeah. move on. And they were like nice about it. It wasn't like, like these guys weren't mean about it at all. Ironically, I think I ended up working with those guys for a little bit in my life afterwards. But anyhow, and I think they, they never brought it up, but I was kind of like, I think those were the same guys. <laughs> anyhow, but uh, it's not at Hood. Anyhow, not at Hood Construction. But uh, it's like, it's like, how do you, how is this next generation going to deal with it when... Like, and you already see it already. People who are just like completely anxious all the time because they can't fail. They're so afraid. Like, because they don't know what it, like, what does that even mean to them? It's like, that's like, that's like being in a whole new world. It's like the world of being (laughs) a failure. (laughs) It's like, like they don't, like people don't understand how to do it. Well, I mean, because they don't take any risk because they've never been taught how to take risks. Well, and they and they're even removing failure. Like I remember when I was in school, we did not have an F. It didn't exist. You had IP. You were in progress. Hmm. So, I mean, you're literally removing those things from from life and you're not allowing them to just feel that because it's just like it's just like a, a, if you have a family member die. Mm. There is a process of grieving. There yeah. is there is a process that you go through. There is a you're supposed to feel it. You're not supposed to medicate it away. 
Mm. I mean, of course, that's a whole nother thing I'm saying. I'm not saying like if you get depressed, that medication makes you weak. But a lot of people turn to alcohol, to drugs, all that kind of stuff because they don't want to feel that. Yeah. They want to, they want to numb it. They want it to go away. And I think we do that same thing with failure in our kids when we just want it to go away. We don't want them to feel like failures. And, and well, that is some of the best teaching moments I've ever had in my entire effing life. Yeah. Was failure. Yeah. Same. And, uh, yeah, I think like if you don't, I don't know, a whole, a whole generation that's afraid to fail is going to fail. Well, I'm sure that. The generation before us was saying the same thing about us when the time came. I think yeah. you're still going to have people that that rise to the level. Like, I, I mean, the there will always be those who rise to the level, but it's like it's getting fewer and fewer. I feel like, and there's definitely like um like with the internet and with phones and stuff, there's definitely been a community of masculinity that has formed, or community of risk takers and entrepreneurs that's formed, and it's like. Um, it's like, that's good, but also there's a giant swell of people who are escaping from reality. And it's like, you know, how, how did people escape from reality before, before the internet, alcohol, drugs, uh, books and people escape from reality with books, but it's, there's such a, it's so different. It's so, it's so different. And I don't know. I think, I don't know. I'm well, with, with a, the difference between like a book and a, and a tablet is, is the tablet is giving you, you know, if somebody dies in a book, it's, it's all in your head as to how that plays out. Yeah. Your, your it's imagination. A story, it's a story. And also there is an element of suffering with reading. And, <laughs> and but it's whereas like with you it, have to, you have to work your way through this book to know this story. Sorry, I don't mean to bang the table, but like, so I've been reading some like the hardest stuff I've ever read in my life. Russian literature, Dostoevsky. Oh my gosh. For me, I have I'm not like a super like brainiac person. Um trying to read through that is so hard for my my brain that has not been tempered to read. But it is so rewarding. I've never cried reading a book before. But Dostoevsky did it to me. Like the end of that book, the end of a book called Crime and Punishment. If you guys, if anybody ever gets a chance, if you have time to read that book, you will probably spend like, <laughs> it took me like a year to read this book. <laughs> but it's like, As everyone the, went, ending, nope. it, the ending is so rewarding. It is like, it's like nothing I've felt in a while. And uh, also very, very like, like personal growth teaches you so much about life. Anyhow. So I think that with the tablets and everything, you're getting violent imagery that's being shown to you. Mm. Um, you know, even when I was a kid going to the arcade in Mortal Kombat, you know, you're literally like ripping someone's spine out of their body <laughs> and holding it in your hand. Like nice. that's, uh, and what, what and it kid... was at that moment where you decided to be a cop. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, actually, I had zero want to be a cop until, <laughs> until I, uh, got out of college but anyway um the uh uh it's it's in, instead of imagination it's that violent imagery that's being shown to you and just like you said that there's no there's no failure in uh in in dying in a video game 
-hmm. I think it also kind of takes away some of the meaning of life because now we're teaching kids to where, you know, you shoot at people and they'll just respond like you're kind of taking away some of the value of what life is. And, you know, if we, and if I shoot them in the head, I get extra points Yeah, and they, they die quicker kind of thing too. And, and, uh, so that's like, uh, you know, you can get into the neuroplasticity and everything. And also when you look at MRIs of kids' brains after they've been playing, uh, violent video games, it's, it's an interesting look, you know, and it's even made me take a step back to where like my boys, they, they don't really play violent video games. Uh, they play like Roblox, which isn't necessarily violent. It's just basically a bunch of blocks running around the screen, but they're limited to an hour and the computer just like shuts off. All right, now go find something to do. I don't yeah. care if it's read a book, color, pick on your brother and sister, Dig you know, uh, yeah, go out in the yard. Uh, they, they've been out in the backyard in this, we've got a bunch of trees behind our house, long story short, and is building a fort. Like the, I remember the wholesomeness of that. I remember looking at that fort and the damn thing was the freaking Taj Mahal, you know, the tree Taj Mahal. Yeah. So, um, it's just, uh, I remember going out in my parents' backyard and digging holes for fun. Yeah. <laughs> that explains so much. Yeah. <laughs> this have is why he seen, loves it. Have you ever seen holes? Yep. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> because he's got nothing going on in his stupid little head. <laughs> that, was, that was before Shia LaBeouf lost his mind. Yeah. yeah. I actually like Shia LaBeouf. A lot of people crap on Shia LaBeouf. And I think he's definitely wild. But that's kind of the reason why I like him is because he's like, I'm going to do this thing. Do it. Just do, do it. it. <laughs> Just do it. But he's he's also got like this, like, there's like, Shia LaBeouf has got like this artistic nature to him. To me, in my brain, I see him as a very artistic person. And have you, have you ever watched the movie Honey Boy? Uh-uh. It's a It's like a semi-autobiography of his like early childhood life. And it's like, I get you now. I kind of understand why you are the way you are. Well, it's like when the the Joker movie. <laughs> now I get why the Joker is the Joker. Yeah, you made you, you kind of you made the like the villain relatable, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Kind of cool. I've spin never on seen it. it. I've wanted to see it. It's a it's it's a cool thing. I won't I won't ruin it. But they basically explain how the Joker became the Joker, and it's interesting because the same failures that they show in that movie as far as the mental health aspect is concerned, is exactly what's going on in our society right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's scary. I looked at that and I was like, I literally deal with this. I literally watch this happen. Yeah. Holy cow. Speaking of that mental health thing, I listened to your guys' uh, podcast with the sheriffs. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, like, what, what do you think was going on with the guy? Dave was his name? Yeah, David Madden. Yeah. What do you think was going on with him? Uh, there's like, a lot what, of speculation what's there. Your, what's your psychological analysis of that human? <laughs> well, I'm not a profiler. Um, but it, it, it was also another single parent family. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly, mom and dad had gotten divorced and mom raised kiddo and was kind of, he could do no wrong and would always bail him out of not just of jail, but just in life situations. Mm-hmm. From what I heard, this this is just what I heard. I don't know that for sure, but just seeing the people I deal with daily and how they kind of handle themselves and how he does and stuff like that. So, um, just like every every family, every kid needs a strong father figure, whatever. They also need 
the balance of a strong mother figure too. It's just, so I think that that, that single parent household had a lot to do with that. <clears throat> and basically, um, not really ever being, uh, shown that physicality of things of just the playing catch. Like yeah. I can't even imagine well, also you know, I, the bonds and things that you form when you do that. There's definitely like the, the single parent thing with mother and father thing where I think like the maternal nature is definitely like to take care. And I think like what we were talking about earlier about like kids not learning how to fail. It's like, if somebody's always there to bail you out, you're never going to learn how to fail. And I think of like the father figure is, is more of that more, more prone to let their kid deal with their failure. Well, yeah, look at it this way. If you have a mom and a dad standing next to a tree and their little kiddo is spending their first time climbing a tree, mm-hmm. the very first time, if you were to just put a stereotype to it, who would be the first person to be like, oh, don't do that. Stop. You know, you're going to hurt yourself, right? Typically, well, the when mom. you do it in that voice, I definitely think it's the mother. Yeah. But, oh, don't do that. But, you know, you're, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just generalizing to, yeah, illust- yeah, to yeah. illustrate a point. Um, I'm pr- we're probably going to get some like content or comment on this podcast now. But you're like, you're a sexist and I'm not listening to your podcast anymore. Oh, cool. Press the stop button now. Anyway, um, so you get like the father who's going to see like, you know, like that's what I tell you my wife. It, yeah, that's what I tell can my wife all the, the time. Top? And I, I'm telling my wife all the time. I'm like, and if they grab a branch that's dead and they fall, they're going to learn a valuable lesson. I bet yeah. you they don't grab a branch like that and fall Funny again. story. The reason I have this scar on my face, one of the other mysteries of Ethan, (laughs) is I was 21 and I was in Texas. There's no alcohol involved. I was climbing a tree. Allegedly. I was climbing a tree in the rain and I slipped and I fell into a river and I smacked my face. It was like a a man-made river. And so I had concrete Mm, barrier. And I smacked my face. My feet landed in the river, but my face landed on the bank. (laughs) (laughs) and that's how i have this scar that sounds like a very enjoyable experience was your dad there cheering you on (laughs) he's like good job son (laughs) hit it again no i'm kidding (laughs) take rub some dirt in it and it'll make it better (laughs) no uh i was actually doing a last hurrah with my friends in texas before i went with no alcohol with no alcohol (laughs) it was actually really like before i was i mean i was okay with drinking but it was kind of like I'll stay away from it. Yeah. But uh, it was my last hurrah before I went and joined the ministry in St. Louis. And then, so like for the first like month of St. Louis, I had like this massive bandage on my head. <laughs> like I can hardly see. You should have I'm totally. here to serve Those, those the guys Lord. in St. Louis, he shows up. His last name's Hirschberger. And they're like, is this, this the, dude just got done with his rum springer. Is this the, <laughs> is this the, convicted, is this the convicted criminal that we were expecting? <laughs> You should have used it to illustrate some point of like, you know, I didn't listen to God, to God and this happened. I learned to fa- I learned to fall, but to pick myself up again. <laughs> Master Wayne. <laughs> Anyhow. Thanks, Alfred. I feel like you should be um, pulling out like a lightsaber or something after saying that. Yeah. Or a batarang. I, uh. Going back to uh, Madden, um, did, were you guys able, did you ever look at um, like his record from the military? I never did. I didn't know, like, if that was. I don't know if the KPI did or not. I don't like, know. I don't know what it really. It, it it didn't really add anything to the case. No, there's no evidentiary value to it. Well, my 
No, I'm not necessarily saying that for the case. Well, maybe. Think about PTSD. Yeah, like PTSD if he had PTSD stuff. and that kind of thing, and like once he got back, because I I think I heard that he served a couple tours in Iraq or I Afghanistan. Don't I, I don't know. That was the rumor I heard at least. Um, but that's something that's like getting back and being a veteran and not getting the help he needed, you know, um, because like had he had the mental support back stateside like he might not have well that's also stigmatized as well because the minute that you start talking about or showing the signs of that pts you're gonna start the military is going to be pulling you back rightfully so right i mean if you're having those issues then you probably shouldn't be on those front lines but those guys they are like i train for this like for me i spend a lot of time training and shooting and equipping and all this other kind of stuff so if if an active killer event were to happen in sterling like put me in coach i want to be the officer working that day i want to be the one to come between the evil and the children of our community like that's just a personal thing for me but if you told me suddenly that i couldn't do that man you want to talk about an existential crisis i've Mm -hmm. i've spent all my life preparing for this and now suddenly i can't do it Mm -hmm. So it's kind of stigmatized um, because people don't want to be pulled away from that. They don't want to be pulled away from what they love. And so it's it's that internal ethos battle, and it usually has to get to a point where it is bad and it's a blow-up before any help yeah. really happens. And Especially having like nobody to talk to about it. Yeah. Like, that stuff festers. And that's, that's another thing on a note of mental health. It's like if you, like if you have no one to talk to, at least write it down because if you can at least write it down um, that I have found has really helped me when I'm dealing with stuff. It's just like, I have to write it down. I have to get it out somehow. I have to, because there's just things that will spin in your head over and over again. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt too much. No, no, I I think it's great. And um, I, I, the best, some of the best advice that I've ever heard actually came from my dad. And I, I know that he didn't make this up. I guess something he heard and passed on to me, but pain shared is pain divided. Joy shared is joy multiplied. Hmm. So you talk about getting that stuff out, you know, when there are happy moments uh, or, you know, like when Nate and I are, you get a PR in the gym or something, you know, you're sharing that with everyone else. And it's just like that total, like, you know, fuck yeah moment. Yeah. But also there are times that uh, when you're dealing with heavy shit, like for me lately, like this last month has been just heavy shit. <laughs> for the last month and you know i spent time talking to my parents my wife uh, my chaplain uh, and i think it's even maybe starting to get to a point where i'm considering a disinterested third party of someone that i'm i guess maybe paying to to talk to at this point it's Mm -hmm. just so you know the pain shared pain divided your shared joy multiplied is is a really good philosophy and even if you're you're sharing that pain with a piece of paper the cool thing about that is, is you can come back to that later on when you've made some strides mm. or maybe look at it and be like, okay, it wasn't this bad. So maybe I should be looking at something else. Or if you've made improvement, you can go back and be like, wow, this is where I used to be. And here's where I am now. Yeah. Journaling is just in general. Journaling is a good thing. It's something I've recently brought up and thought of. And, uh, you know, also, th- like also, another podcast you guys had about like having hard, hard conversations like it's really easy to get like 
to get into that situation and let all your emotions come out and it turn bad. Oh yeah. So journaling also helps with that. It's like, say you want to have a hard conversation with somebody, write it down, organize your thoughts, organize your thoughts, write it down, get something, get it out of yourself because what you're trying to do is you're trying to be able to analyze it. You're trying to be able to get it to a place where it's like, okay, so this is the way I'm feeling. I know this is not right or this is not. And obviously this isn't going to fix it right away necessarily, but it's like over time, I feel like that really helps it. And then coupled with right action. Cause like, like what I've learned is that it's, if you have emotions that are bad or if you have emotions that you're trying to not feel anymore, you need to do things that punish quote unquote that emotion. Or it's like where you do the op- the thing that is opposite to that emotion over and over and over again because you're retraining your your body. You're retraining your mind to think something differently. And I don't know. You don't want to have that hard conversation when you're pissed off yeah. with that person because heat of the moment is never good. Yeah. I wouldn't say never. Maybe not never, but it's hardly ever. But there are times that... Uh, it, it's definitely very, it's very powerful, especially yeah, if you're somebody true. that's well-spoken. That's if you're somebody that's well-spoken, and, and I found through just time and time and time again of being in stressful situations, mm-hmm. it's significantly easier for me to take all of those emotions, everything that's balling up that, you know, you want to like DBZ, like or actually, I guess, like Street Fighter, like like the, the you can you know, and like shoot it out of yourself to swallow that down and formulate it into something that you want. That like my my mom even told me one time when I was just being honest because my mother is brutally honest, and so that's where I kind of learned my brutal honesty was you know you can really make your words cut like a knife, and that wasn't nice, screaming. I I, I really subs, uh, subscribe to the walk softly, carry a big stick, uh, or just be nice. And then when it's time not to be nice, then don't be nice, but overall be nice. So if you're well-spoken and you can use it in the right, in the at the right time for the right reasons, then sure. But it is definitely very much an art. Those hard conversations is an art. It's not, there's no, I don't think there's no, there's a book or a checklist that you can go through to like, here's how you have the proper hard conversation. Like that's not how that's going to work. I know for me, like, I'm not very well-spoken. Like, I've got to think it over and organize my thoughts. Um, like, when I'm mad, you can tell I'm mad, and you can hear it in my voice. Um, I've And I get this from what my dad, because he's the same way. Like, he'll just tell you to go do something, you know? And he's got that authoritarian voice, and he sounds angry. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go do that. Otherwise, I'm going to get my ass beat. <laughs> um, and, like... I get that from him, obviously. Um, but like just to, I don't know. I just, me personally just need to organize my thoughts, you know, take it to that person and say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling and talk through it that way. I, I, I'm not a type of person that can do it in the heat of the moment. I love that thinking on the fly. That's fun to me. And that's, that's probably the most fun about my job. And yeah, that's something you practice every day. I deal with, people that literally con people for a living like they are professional con men and women and they're they're to get whatever 
whatever they're wanting, whether it's drugs, money, to not be arrested, whatever. So I love playing the mind games with them the same way they're trying to do it with me and basically just trying to kind of one-up them. See, and it's, you it's, have it's to entertaining. That to it's a fun thing job. for me. I, I thoroughly enjoy that yeah. part of my job probably more than anything else. Yeah. Of just that battle of wits. Most most people, though, aren't trying to deal with, like, I mean, most people are dealing with people that they have personal relationships with, you know, and it's like most people don't have to <laughs> play with their, do a little cat and mouse, you know? Yeah, but it's it, interpersonal conflicts, interpersonal conflict. Yeah. It doesn't and really matter. Yeah. Who, I mean, I, I shouldn't think, say it doesn't matter who it's with, but. I definitely think there's times where it's like when something snaps and you just like say the thing that you've been trying to say is actually healthy because it's like some sometimes when you're trying to organize your thoughts, you can't get the right words out. And it's like if you can, the thing is, is if you can name it, you can like if it's like a physical not physical thing if it's like a mental thing i feel like if you can name it you can kind of like fix it because it's like it's it's for me at least the the struggle of any interpersonal conflict is just like getting to the point of like this is the problem it's like okay this is the problem i can deal with it now or even i think some of the best things that are missing from a lot of that is taking the introspective look at yourself first yeah am i the problem i think that's also missing not only is failure missing but i find that with my kiddos yeah where my my kids or what like to do the whole you're fine my kids like to do the whole um you know this isn't my fault because of blah 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 and you know like my son uh, my my middle son he'll like to you know poke and egg his brother like kids do right like brothers do and then he gets hurt and and he's like, well, it's not my fault. He's the one that hit me. And I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Had you not started shit, yeah. you know, don't start shit. Won't be shit. Basically. Yeah. Um, of course that's not my parent. You know, the All way I parent. But, consequences. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean something that I, a guy that I listen to a lot and a guy who really like pretty much like changed my life is uh, Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you guys know yeah. who that is, Yeah. but he like his voice is interesting. It's Kermit the Frog. Yeah, if 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 you listen to that guy, like narrate a book, you'd be like, but then you hear the words that come out of his mouth, and you're like, this is phenomenal yeah, content. Yeah. Well, yeah, and something a, he a, a something, good man is some, a dangerous man. Yeah. Something something that he he says is like you, how can you like you, you need to look at a situation and like not think about what anybody else can do, but what can you do to make the situation yeah. better? And it's like, yeah, because everybody goes around blaming everybody else, but it's like, you're the one, you are the one you control directly. And it's like, you can try to change the world, but it's not going to go very well. So what can you do yourself to make the situation better? Andy Frisilla had something similar to that on his little mini blog. About and I, I, I personally he probably got it from Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I personally, I personally subscribe to the like, I don't care where you're at in a business, I don't care if you're the guy that is first day on the job or if you're the CEO of a company, you're a leader. Um, and I mean that in the sense of let's say, for instance, let's just to use a really easy thing, let's say you're somebody that doesn't like cussing, just mm-hmm. as an example. If you're guy day one and you come out to a construction crew. Most of the time, you're going to hear some things that you probably don't like and agree with (laughs) as somebody that doesn't like cussing. 
So you can be a leader and letting, and I think if you showed up the first day and you were like, I don't like that and flexing on people and that probably wouldn't go well. Literally flexing on people. (laughs) That that probably wouldn't go well, right? But you can let people know over time after you've invested time, (laughs) you've invested time with them and everything that that's not something that you necessarily like or agree with and you can affect a change that way. And you can do the same thing with pretty much anything like you were talking about okay i noticed that this is missing and as an employee you fill in those gaps you find a solution to that problem or you liked the whole there were six people here i'm gonna be the one that quickly serves six people instead of going i'm here by myself and this is bull crap and blah blah you know you're just like i'm just gonna go solve the problem yeah and i think that's that's a big problem i've had with like not big problem but that's something that is a struggle as an employer is like <clears throat> finding employees like we have great employees not complaining about my employees at all right now but <laughs> right now i have had <laughs> right now <laughs> i have i have had employees only because they like, might hear this <laughs> where it's like where it's like hey man like you need to take some initiative yeah because it's like i can't teach you how to do everything you need to be able to identify problems and fix them. And find solutions. And find solutions. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Use that big old brain that God gave you. Yeah. It's not just good for Instagram pics. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, put the phone down, take a look around, identify some problems, and make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, like. Find the problem, fix it. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't know how to fix it, Pick your phone back up and Google it. I had this. I had this employee, and they were just the bomb. Because I would literally like be like, "Hey, I need this done," and I would be like, "I forgot to teach them how to do that." And I would come back, and it would be done. And I'd just be like, "I never taught you how to do that." And they're like, "I just figured it out." And I was like, "Awesome." <laughs> well, and that's <laughs> can the- you work tomorrow too? <laughs> yeah, uh, and then- I want to give you more money, yes. so you stay here. Do they still work there? No. But well, that's one why thing. Why not? Uh, <laughs> they moved. Oh, but the thing is, is like, I mean, that's part of the thing with coffee shops. It's like there's a high turnover. Yeah. So, and I can't, I can't expect somebody to make a career out of a coffee shop. You can't pay like someone me. twenty dollars an hour and then yeah. be a barista, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, you could. You could, but I don't. Yeah, that probably wouldn't work out. I mean, very depend, long depends on how phenomenal they are. I guess. Yeah. Depends on. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you're they'd Nate, have to generate a lot of sales. If you're Nate, then you know you're exceptional and you get paid more. So, but um, yeah. if uh, for being a barista, <laughs> I don't think you're an exceptional barista. We don't know. Never tried it. He can hardly <laughs> he can hardly use a Keurig. <laughs> a Keurig, 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 Keurig. He started listing off all the names of coffees. I was like. Not here in Folgers. <laughs> not here Where's in Maxwell House fit into this? Yeah. Chocolate full of nuts? Um, uh, there's something we were going to talk about that we were, you made me think of with employees. I was going to ask you. Mm. We're going to have to edit this out. Do, 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 do. That's the beauty of editing. Nobody will ever know any of this happened. Oh, well, he's going to have fun with this one. I can already <clears> tell. Yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of fucking time editing this one. I really want to say something really inappropriate right now, just because I know you're going to edit it out, but... He may or may not. But then if you, you won't off, edit it out. Go for it. No, <laughs> I can't say it. 
maybe I'll mix it into like a, a song or something. You know, auto tune it into a song. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't ruin my um, But you're talking about. Uh, so we're talking about one of the, th- I, I just got recently promoted. And so I've been through some leadership classes that they required me to go to. And they're talking about just differences in, in generations and how we see uh, now that we're getting old, we see, even though I'm like much older than you guys, but we see the, a generation younger than us as not communicating when they're like, uh, yeah, I am. I communicate all day long. I just do it differently than you. So one thing I found that was interesting is when Disembodied I embodied communication. Yeah. When I, um, pick up my phone and I am trying to figure out how to do something. I very much like, cause when I learned about computers, everything on a computer was like, this is the step, do this and then do this and then do this and then do this very procedural. Mm-hmm. And so I really identified with the lists of like, go to a web page, you see a list, do what's on the list. And then, and then learn. And then eventually I apply it without having to use the list. Well, now it's like, do I have to watch a freaking 35 minute YouTube video? I don't want to devote 35 minutes of time. Show me the effing list. Like, yeah. show me what to do. I don't want to. And there are times that the YouTube's great to be able to visualize some things. But, uh, it's, it's just an interesting, um, I use YouTube a lot. Yeah. Change learning how to be a carpenter. <laughs> that's, I mean, honestly, that's pretty much how I learned how to bake. I like, like, no offense to my mother, but she was not the most proficient cook uh, I have ever known. <laughs> that uh, was very eloquent. Thank you. Um, I love my mother very much. Not the most proficient. Love cook. you, mom. Love but you, you mom. suck at cooking. <laughs> but uh, like, I learned like the first things I started to bake were like those Betty Crocker like cake mixes. You know? Yeah. That's what I first started doing, but. Like, learning how to do the more complicated stuff, it was all YouTube. I just watched YouTube after YouTube after YouTube. And I do I was, that now in my cooking as well. Yeah. Sam, the cooking guy. Like, learning, all the time. learning how to do sourdough and stuff and bagels. I had a professor in college that he basically, all of his classes, was you taught us to use YouTube. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, like we, would just, we, we would watch YouTube videos and he would say, if you've got a question, YouTube it. <laughs> really? Really. Wow. It's not a bad piece of advice, honestly. No, I mean, it does prepare you, but like, I mean, you're at a expensive college and you're just telling me to YouTube it. <laughs> well, and maybe he was using that as a, a, as a way to reach students like you, your generation, because you identified with that. So he knew that if, that, that you weren't necessarily going to come seek the interpersonal relationship and the, hey, teach, show me how to do this. He knew that to reach your generation, that was probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what this employee that I really liked did is they would just like YouTube stuff all the time. And I was like, good on you. Good on for taking, you, taking your initiative there. Do and you feel like that employee pushed you to be a better boss? Mm, that's a good question. Um, no, the bad employees definitely pushed me to be a better boss because they would do stuff that I wouldn't think of doing in a million years. <laughs> and I'm just like, how? I wish, I wish people could see your body language right now after you said that sentence. After you said that I sentence. Was, I, one time 
don't, I don't, I don't know who did it, but one time I was like, it was a changing of shifts and I was thawing out a pork loin, a 10 pound pork loin. I opened the next morning, the next morning, that pork loin had not moved from the counter. And I'm just like, I was so mad fuming the whole way to the dumpster to throw away this like $60 pork loin or whatever. And I'm just like, how, what, I don't, what, like, your brain's resetting because right I now. Because I did not tell them. And I was like, hey, you left a pork loin out last night. And they're like, you didn't tell us to put it away. And I was like, you don't leave meat on the counter. and uh, Unless it's covered in salt. Yes. So I don't mean to hate on employees because I have a lot of good employees. And those same employees probably did great things. But it's like you... Like, what I learned as a boss is, like, if it is not written down and not communicated, don't expect it to get done. So, like, a big thing is uh, if you're a new business and you're, like, trying to create procedures, you have to write them down. You have to create a law. Well, why do you think the chains like McDonald's, Pizza Hut, mm-hmm. etc. They literally have step-by-step picture guides of here's exactly what the expectation is. Yes. Yes. So, like, <laughs> literally one of the biggest things about owning a business and having employees is, like, just learning how to talk. That sounds weird, but it's, like, you have to be very specific on what you want. It's, like, like okay, now you want to roll the dough 90 degrees in a clockwise like use both hands pick up the pork loin walk over to the fridge put pork oh oh hold on open door <laughs> put pork loin in fridge yes i mean there's some people like that like you need this step-by-step instructions like you were talking about no um some people have initiative and they'll like they they get it but and there's like literally it's like it's gifts it's like some people just are like they know how to do stuff in a different manner like this person was probably like like somebody who's probably really bad at like procedural just like intuition is probably like really good at like making things look good but when it comes to like the process of how to keep things running not so much Hmm. It's an interesting segment. So it's like it's like Makes sense. how do you it's it's about finding gifts or like strengths of your employees and figuring out where to put them and how to organize them to where they use their strengths and you are not always tripping over their weaknesses or having all your other employees trip over their weaknesses. Would you say that's the the biggest mistake you've ever had at, financially mistake you've had at Clive's? Leaving a pork one out on the counter by an employee. No. No, fine. By an employee? Yeah. Probably. I, me and Caleb definitely bear the brunt of the most expensive mistakes we've ever made. <laughs> well, at least you're willing to admit it. Yeah, I mean, most of it has to do with, like, laws and bureaucracy and just, like, not paying stuff on time, so. I'm, well, yeah. it's It just happens. It's like It's like, oh, I forgot to pay that bill and now i owe more money so oh, especially a city bill in sterling when they charge you 10 percent 
you know, I don't know what they do for businesses, but for residential, they charge you 10% as late fee. So 10% or whatever the bill is. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I know like when I was a busy bee, like there's some guys never like mess anything up. There's other guys that fucked up every week. It's like, man, how did you destroy that so fast? Like, seriously, you know, I, I actually had one mistake where I, um, you know, it was a combination of me and the nurse truck driver, new nurse truck driver, you know, typically, like, they lift the auger up before you pull out with the dry machine. Well, I didn't look. He didn't lift it up. I drove off, and I folded an auger. An $11,000 auger destroyed it. You know, like, mistakes happen. Mm -hmm. I thought my boss was going to come uncorked. Nope. He laughed about it. (laughs) I was like, that did not go the way I thought it was going to go. Felicia's husband did the same thing two months beforehand. Like, folded the auger. So I was the second one to do it. I was like, oh, God, I'm dead. Nope. That was one thing that they were good about was like, because agriculture mistakes happen all the time. People get stuck. People break down. I watched one of my coworkers like wrap a boom around a tree in telephone poles, and just I don't understand how like some people are just good at destroying things. <laughs> and it's like, man, I'd get that guy out of a sprayer. Because <laughs> he's cost you a hundred thousand dollars of damage on that sprayer alone. <laughs> Maybe you should become a crop duster. Just the one, the person that's destroying those. Yeah, yeah, one mistake. <laughs> you only get one mistake then. <laughs> that was incredibly cynical. <laughs> he's, this is, he's one of those. Let's take the warning labels off and let the problems handle themselves. Yes. Oh, Survival man. of the fittest, my dudes. <laughs> stupid is a stupid does. You definitely, nah, you definitely want to stick your tongue to this I'm, electrical outlet. Like full definitely. libertarian. Do not warn me about anything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not that. I'm uh-huh. not like that. But yeah, employees are, they're like, like when it comes down to it, it is like you can try to blame your employees as much as you want. And I think that's a sign of a bad boss because it's like in the end, it is on your head. Yeah. It's like you're the one who's supposed to be in charge of training them and making sure they know how to do the thing that you want. I mean, most times you hired them yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, that is my responsibility when it comes to Clive's employees. So when somebody messes something up, like initially it's like, how in the world did you do that? (laughs) But in the end, it's like, I am to blame because I am the one who needs to make sure they know. And um, yeah, I've got our like killer group in there right now. Like they're really really solid um like i said i've never had a bad experience in clives ever well not once we try to try to you know try to keep the mistakes in the kitchen so (laughs) that's comforting we're gonna hide them nobody will ever know (laughs) well exactly when you you eat it throw them if you don't die everything's fine you throw them in the trash before they get out to the customers that's what i'm trying to say okay well, you might want to. You didn't illustrate that to me. Is your, so oh, you did, sorry. You didn't. You need me to illustrate it to you. you is that what you, you said? Didn't communicate that effectively. Oh, sorry. Well, 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 
You're the guy who more likes to more quality control happens in the kitchen. <laughs> yes, that's that's the hope. But just... sometimes it does get out into the dining room, which is not so great. Um, but yeah, it's just like I don't know. You got to write it down. You got to let people know. You got to communicate. It's, I would say, like, it's like twenty percent of making a recipe, making a new product, is like the R&D of like creating the product. And then the rest of it's just like procedural. It's like, how am I going to teach everybody how to do this? Make this product, make it efficiently and make it to where people want to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I say not only that, but making it repeatable because yeah, repeatable. If, if, if one batch tastes great and the next one doesn't, yeah, you don't really make people don't really want to buy it. It's like yeah. when you go to McDonald's, you never know if your fries are going to be fresh or not. Yeah, you're kind of or rolling the dice. You want that consistency. I mean, working. you get a McDouble, it it's a McDouble. You know what you're getting. You yeah. know. No, well, you have low expectations. That's why. That's the thing. Is like, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. Is like with a small, <laughs> like food service business, it's like the consistency is the most difficult to undertake because it's like you're. A small, you don't have a lot of resources. You don't have a lot of time to create procedures. Or sometimes when, like, you guys ran out of oat milk and you couldn't go to Dylan's to get oat milk because they didn't have any. Yeah, and it like that's that's another problem. I mean, we're having huge supply issues, and that's a whole other conversation. But like, just like Couldn't getting even get my sleeve on my coffee. Today. Get, yeah, we don't have any coffee sleeves because there's <laughs> literally no coffee sleeves in America. So that's not all bad. Damn it, China. Yeah. Wow. Hey, speaking of that, we were talking, I was going to mention that when we talk about the supply chain stuff of, I think it's when you talked about the industry and how people are going to have to invest in those industries or the industry is going to be investing in other people. Like if you build a building, they're going to need a welder or a plumber or whatever, et cetera, or their products are going to need people with trades. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting to see companies coming on board and doing things when the supply chain did get you know corrupted with the container ships just sitting out in the ocean waiting they're still waiting out there, to aren't be they in. yeah i mean it's still very much behind yeah but to see american manufacturing kind of make a comeback because i would have i personally have zero problem with paying a little bit more money none yeah for There's for something be- that's going to be a big push for yes. local and American made and it's well companies like I don't know. You know, it's hard to say this because I mean Nike's so huge, but companies like Nike that go back and forth and wish washy and like don't have a backbone and something they really stand for, you know, I think companies like that are gonna start struggling more and your American made companies I think are gonna be prosperous. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing with just, like, California being the biggest port in America and then also having, like, the strictest emission laws in the world. Not the world, but, like, the strictest emission laws in America. Well, and then it's they like, were... They, they can't... You can't get trucks in there. Right, because be, they have to have the certain specific emission stuff. Right. Yeah. And so... And... and 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 they and had to have COVID enough. and they had to have COVID vaccinations and masks and et cetera, and et cetera, nobody et cetera. wants to be a truck driver. And there's like a full, like there's like an anti-work movement going on right now where it's like, nobody wants to work anymore. And it's like, 
I don't think it's that they don't want to work. It's just I don't want to work for $4.23 an hour and no benefits and no anything else. Where do you get paid that? I was just using an arbitrary number. Oh. Illustrating oh. again my point. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. It's all it's all messed up. Um, hopefully the supply chains get back to normal, but I don't know if they ever are going to. Like, there's waves happening that I think are going to really affect the way the future is. And um, I don't know. It's a little scary with Clive's just because it's like, I don't know. Like, in my wildest fears, it's like you have a really bad, worse than 2008 economy crash. Nobody comes to Clive's and we shut down and I'm stuck with a building that I have to pay taxes on that nobody wants to buy and I have to pay my loans off. And it's like, that is my worst nightmare, I guess. And it's like, beforehand, it was like, okay, when we were first opening Clive's, Clive's doesn't work out. I still own a building that I fixed up and I can sell it. And now it's kind of like, well, we were talking on the way here. It's like when the interest rates go back up and nobody wants to get work done and nobody wants to buy houses and nobody wants to invest. Everybody's clinching to their pennies. It's going to get a little, little sketchy, I think. And, um, also been hearing like, like really wealthy folks. My Cardone, Cardone, Cardone. Uh, what's his name? Mike Cardone. I can't remember his name, but he was like basically on a podcast. Was like, I don't own a house. I rent because when the economy crashes, I don't want to be sitting on any real estate. I've heard that. I heard of that podcast. Yeah, or at least that that snippet of it. <laughs> yeah. And well, so, it's Elon Musk is doing the same thing. Yeah, Elon Musk is selling all of his uh, possessions like his because he yeah, he doesn't he doesn't want if there's any type of an issue like that. And not only that, but now people can't attack his quote unquote affluence because he's like, I literally own nothing. He's going to say, screw this. I'm going <clears throat> to Mars and hop on one of his rockets. John, have you ever thought of him as like the Lex Luthor of our world? Yes, I thought about <laughs> Jeff Bezos is that way because he's bald, dude. He's got the look. <laughs> Well, Elon Musk was getting there until he got his hair transplant done. Oh, did he? Yeah. I don't know what to think about Elon. Like, part of me really likes the guy. But also... I like how he gives the middle finger to the establishment, pretty much. Yeah. I like I like parts of his thing. But in the end, I think he is a businessman with an agenda. And uh, I don't know. He kind of did the crypto community kind of dirty a little bit. Dude, I bought into Doge when he went on SNL. And it just plummeted. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> Man, I was waiting for that to be my day. I was. I was. That's what I was hoping. But you, and I made what, a little money on Doge when all that was going on. Let's face it. Let's face it. We made other people very rich is what we did in, in making those financial decisions. That nice transfer of wealth yeah. out of Sterling, Kansas. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Hey, I mine my own. I mine my own now. Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Dogecoin? Do you know the Bennett? The Ethereum. Bennett guy? What's his name? The Bennett Insulation Guy? Yeah. Jeff. Jeff Bennett. But his son. Matt. Matt. He mines. I only have one graphics card. Mm-hmm. So it's only one. <laughs> only one graphics card. <laughs> Why are you even talking to me about this? It's got it's it, And it's only 100 mega hashes a second, so it's not much. 
It's taken me. That's what they called me in high school. 100 mega hashes. (laughs) 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 I'm sure that you had plenty of hash when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. Down there in Yoder. Yeah. The mega hash. But, uh, so we, how long have we been doing this now? When do we start? November, November 1st? Is November 1st our first one? Because we did like the 1st and the 15th is what we were doing. November 1st, right? Sounds right. So, so two months. So it's taken me two months to mine $400 worth of Ethereum. I'm at like, that's where I'm at. Because we're going to buy a computer, I think. It's kind of what I was looking at. So <clears throat> it's kind of cool making money out of nothing. I just know, hold on to it. Uncle don't Sam, even, don't even turn it into USD. Just keep it. Yeah, Uncle keep Sam's still gonna take his cut. Either way, You're supposed to report that on there's your taxes. This, there's this hilarious. It's supposed meme. to. There's well, this. my thing is, how do they know? It's all encrypted. How do they know unless you're unless you tell them? I think you only have to pay taxes on it if you actually withdraw it. Well, I think if you if you get a gain from it, like some sort of a like a capital gain. Hmm. Interesting. There's this meme, right? There's this meme. Of like, yes. It's like an old timey. It's an like an old timey photo, and it's like this guy making this face, and he's like got his hand out. He's like, like yeah, this. Yeah. And it's just he's like, got the like the the round spectacles. Yeah, on. and yeah. it's like and it's like he's just making this sneery face, and it's like, <laughs> it's like the government when you give somebody money, me. The government when you like want to give a present to somebody, yep. me. When you buy a house, me. <laughs> it's the, just like. like how many different ways can we tax, like, well, and not only citizens. tax, but double and triple and quadruple tax, quadruple tax, so that we can fund our wars in, you know, some other country that then pad our pockets. Yeah, and pad not our, our pockets. The people who are making writing the laws and yeah, taking the tax. I was. Uh, this says is, the guy that's I, here that gets paid with your tax dollar. I was what? I am that guy. You don't write the laws. You write the laws. Yeah, I do. I write I them down on a piece you. of paper would... and tell you to come to court and maybe, give me more money. Maybe we should just privatize the police force. What do you think of that? I think that that is a disastrous idea. Yeah, I do too. Because you're going to incentivize. Why don't we what do about fund community them? community funded, like like a community or like it already is. It's exactly what it is. No, no, no. But like it's like it's like we need to defund not... the police. We just need mental health experts. Yeah, that's working out really great in some places. <laughs> Have you seen how Seattle and all them are going, hey, guys, um, all of you that quit, um, can you please come back and we'll pay you like so much more money? And they're all going, <laughs> no. In New York, yeah. all their police officers. Pretty much every Democratic run ha- haven. It's the, uh, what is it's it? Like the highest crime there. since 1980s. The 1980s, I think. It's a war zone. Yeah, I, I, you have to look. People like to look at the murder rate, and you don't shouldn't look at the murder rate. You have to look at the aggravated assault rate because the murder rate skewed. Because thirty years ago, a gunshot wound would likely kill you, whereas today you can survive most gunshot wounds because mm. of advances in medical technology. So you're saying it's even worse than that? So I'd say it's worse because mm. the aggravated assault rate significantly higher. I mean, look at places like Chicago and stuff. I mean, they're setting all time records of, you know, like monthly murder rate monthly killings like hey we had 173 this month you know most places that used to be like a year or 10 year statistic um so it's it's definitely uh interesting when you're not holding people accountable you're not giving them the failure you're 
see, that's the, the problem that we have now. And I implore, implore you guys when you step into a ballot box, if you know nothing about any other candidate, please, I beg you, I beg you from the pits of my despair <laughs> to research your judges. Because what we're finding right now is, and not all, um, but judges let them go. A lot of judges are like, oh, hey, don't do that again. Release them mm-hmm. and like kick them out and release them. Like, I, I get that bond is not meant to be a punishment, right? Like, $10,000 bond, that's not meant to be a punishment to somebody that's in jail. That's meant to just secure that, that, that you're going to come back to court. Because if you say, say you pay $10,000 in cash and for a bond, you are required by law to get that money back at the conclusion of your case. Minus like fines and stuff like that. They can take some of that, but you get that money back. So bond is not meant to be a punitive thing. But when you have somebody that repeatedly (laughs) goes out and victimizes people or does things they're not supposed to, why are we lowering lowering their bond? Why are we giving them OR bonds? Especially if it's a violent violent offense. Even if it's not a violent offense because... You know, if if you let's say you have a meth a meth habit, for instance, you're going out and you're stealing from people. You're taking family heirlooms, you're taking copper, you're taking all these things, and you're victimizing people repeatedly over and over and over. And you're only getting caught probably in less than ten percent of all those times that you're doing that. Mm. You know, we we had a guy that's in prison right now named Michael Strody, and we were having burglaries out the ass. But the minute that he came to jail, they went down by like eighty, ninety percent. So it's like, hmm, might be a little bit of a correlation. You know what's terrible in my brain. In my brain, that guy went from scum to legend as soon as you said that. <laughs> well, he wasn't. He, he wasn't. And, and the thing is, it's interesting. We, the the mentality of him, because we pulled some. I did a search warrant on a phone of another guy. You know, leave it to a meth head to not trust other meth heads. He put his phone in his pocket and was recording conversations for posterity. And so one of the things was that guy was saying he actually liked being in prison better than he liked being on the street because he made more money in prison than he did out on the street because he could traffic methamphetamine into the prison through using women to do that and make significant amounts of money more in prison than he could out on the street. So he had no problem going to prison. People like that is what prison's made for. We've got a, I mean... It's, uh, it's it, like part of the, the thing is, is like, I feel like the whole like war on drugs thing kind of was a, like, especially when just like marijuana, like a huge mistake because you've overloaded the prison system. Now the judges don't want to send people to prison because there's too much, too many people in prison. And so you keep getting people. Uh, I mean, I'm just like speculating because I don't really know. You know better than I do. But it's like, it seems like it's like we've overloaded the prison system. So now we're trying to just like find people, but that doesn't really do anything. And then like, we don't have good, like don't have good prison because it's overloaded. We don't have like good uh, guards, prison guards to keep that kind of thing from happening. I don't know. It's just like a huge. They're understaffed. No one wants to work there. I feel like, I feel like they're finally starting to, they're paying, they're starting pay. At the prison now is like 25 bucks an hour just because they're that hard up trying to find people to work. And what's really annoying is we have a military industrial complex that takes like 
I don't know how much of the budget, but it's like trillions of dollars <laughs> yeah, of the budget. Say, and it's a, like, a significant hey, why don't amount. you take like a tenth of that and just give it to like the law enforcement? Because what about our foreign affairs policies, man? Well, you mean like giving money to all kinds of other countries? Just, yeah, for gender like, just studies. Because? Yeah. For gender studies. You're talking about <laughs> that omnibus? <laughs> um, that nobody read? That all our congressmen didn't read? And then passed? Did they is. pass it? I don't remember. I don't even know where my money is. I don't even know what I pay taxes for. <laughs> so you can remain free? That's the only reason? Like, if you think about it, if you buy a house What's... or a business or mortgage anything, you never truly own your property. Feels like I'm pay- it feels like I'm paying taxes so that the government can tell me that I have to inject a... Uh, possibly... Inject a possibly uh, experimental drug into my system so that they can pay off Pfizer. Uh, That's what I feel like my taxes are actually going to. So that Pfizer can put more money into... So I can put chemicals in the water and turn the freaking frogs gay! Yes! Uh, I got it in! (laughs) Yeah, we finally got it out of you. There you go. See, that's that's Ethan's side that I was trying to pull (laughs) out. Secretly... I am, the, Ill- only, I am only... the illegitimate son of Alex Jones. <laughs> I don't know, man. That beard's pretty majestic. Alex Jones doesn't have a majestic That's beard. That's true. He has a lot of rage. But you know what's weird? Look at how much of the shit he's gotten right. I yeah, mean, I'm not you gonna... can make fun of him all day long. Yeah, no, this, but... this is the problem. Is like We've ostracized people and we've silenced people. And like just like... It's like... Literally like a popularity contest where it's like, oh, this guy's an idiot because he's so crazy. And it's like, now nobody pays attention to what he has to say. He's like, like obviously he doesn't get everything right. And he said some crazy things that were not true specifically about like Sandy Hook and stuff like that. But it's like, just because somebody says something that's crazy doesn't mean that they're not saying anything that's true. And it's like, I don't have to believe everything that Alex Jones says. And I'm not a cons- like that doesn't I don't know it's just like it's such a nightmare. But it's not a conspiracy theory when it's right. Yeah, no, it's not. A, it's <laughs> like, oh, there was a pedophile island, you know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. How um, I watched, I follow this lady on Instagram called Kara the Huntress, and she used to be a um, army intelligence officer mm. and she would gather, you know, intelligence, intelligence like what you'd see on the, on TV to do mission packages. Yeah. Well, when she got in the military, she's like, well, now what am I going to do? Well, now she gathers intelligence on human traffickers and helps oh, law awesome. enforcement prosecute human traffickers. So she has spent a considerable amount of time in the prosecuting people like Elaine Maxwell and Epstein, obviously not to that scale. Um, but she was absolutely flabbergasted at how quickly that trial went down and how quickly everything came to fruition, how no, they closed their arguments and all no that. And they dis- were like, no discovery. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna like investigate like, Ooh, who was, who was maybe the person, you know, doing pedophile stuff on this Island. Nobody My, cares. I'm interested in seeing how that goes. I wonder, and I was, I was talking this over with Nate. I wonder if that went like, if that went behind scene, behind the scenes of like, here's what we're gonna do. Okay, the the public, if we don't if we don't prosecute you with something, they're 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 gonna know something's up. So we have to prosecute you. Yeah. But if you just agree not to say anything or whatever, we'll make sure that you get like the minimum sentence. 
yeah. or something like that. Like that's the stuff I can see. Or, or hey, uh, we're just gonna have you uh, suicide yourself in prison or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> we're gonna John McAfee you if you don't go through with us. I thought didn't he like go to an island? Like he left and went to an island, didn't he? John McAfee. Yeah, you're talking about the dude that made the antivirus, right? Yeah, he committed suicide. Oh, I didn't know that. And he has tattooed on his chest, I did not commit suicide. <laughs> I'm serious. Dead serious. This guy was like, I'm pretty sure that dude had some dirty stuff on a lot of people. I mean, I don't know. It's just like, it's like how, I don't know. It's like, what do you do? What do you do? Nothing you can do. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Start a small business in a town that nobody cares about. I care about it. Sell coffee. In the big scheme, like nobody in DC cares about Sterling, Kansas. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I care about it. I love Sterling. I like the people there. I like the college there. I like what Clive's is building. I like what High Point Farms is building. Hey. I like that you're a cop there. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to say that because I was in the room. I like that you come to my coffee shop. <laughs> I like that you I like it. that I can take your money. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, no, but it's like it's like a good community and it's a strong community and I think that's something that that um I think that's that's where that's how you resist in a way. Well, I think the if the big corruption. Yeah, if you take a look even at community other communities in our county, you can definitely see the differences in what Sterling brings to the table versus other communities. Yeah. I mean, I used to do a paper out in Lyons on Reed and Workman Street while I was working for the SO, and I was serving papers on Reed and Workman Street, and I was like, holy shit. Like, Fair code enough. enforcement is obviously not on the forefront because those houses, they're dilapidated, and there's, like, freaking vehicles in the yard and just... It, Poop water falling out of the high side of the house? Probably. Geysers in the street. I live in London. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Dude, I heard... So I heard that was... I don't know. There's some suspicion that it was when they turned the lights on because they were dressing up the the water tower and I think somebody hit something when they were uh, turning the lights on. (laughs) It was um, like... So the, the, the... I don't know. Do you know what happened? One of the... So what I got told by the sergeant of the PD up there was the... um. There you go, breaking shit again. The uh, they were servicing the water tower on the north side of town in Ogman Park, aka we call it Ghetto Park because it was a ghetto ass park. And when they went to turn it on, it was basically like slam valve open versus slowly turn valve on, and it just continued to. So then a bunch of water leaves the water tower, at which point all the pump, the wells pumps. The wells kicked on to refill said water tower and just continue, just continued to water hammer the system just over and over and over and over and over again. That's what happened. Hmm. Jeez. Sounds like the system wasn't ready for something. Sounds like somebody ain't a plumber. <laughs> then you told me that they didn't have a single licensed plumber on the... No, no, no. I, I shouldn't say... Well, I don't know about the plumbing side of it. No, but they're... In order... Every city has a person that has to hold a water license. Meaning, like, I know what it takes to make clean water, essentially. Lions does not have one. And that lives within the city limits. They 
they buy some guy's license and use it and he lives in like Wichita area somewhere, something mm. like that. So it's like yeah. a, a contract like How's contract that make you feel, Mr. Uh, Lyons resident? <clears throat> oh, you live in Lyons? Yeah, dude. Oh, shit, my bad. It's okay. I used to live there. I lived, I've lived in much worse places than Lyons. I really don't mind it. St. Louis? I wasn't going to say it, but <laughs> Hutchison, St. Louis. <laughs> I lived on the north side of St. Louis, which is ironically right across the river from East St. Louis, the town, the city. And let me tell you what, I've seen some ghetto stuff, ghetto stuff, but, uh, yeah, Lions isn't that bad. Uh, my neighbors park their stuff in the yard all the time, but that's like a huge no, no in Sterling. And it's like, there's like kind of cr- like. My neighbors aren't like super cleanly, but they're night. They're like kind, nice people. Yeah, right. it's just like, it's just like kind of like I got my stuff out everywhere. I'm like, all right, you know. Well, I think it's just cool to see that your tax dollars actually going to something. I guess in Sterling, like, yeah, they redid those no, alleys I'm, behind the business district. They've redone streets. They've you know, things no, that, that you, sometimes you don't see, like the servicing I, of the sewer system and stuff like that. I definitely appreciate Sterling a lot. Because, like, I've noticed that the... Oh, uh, uh, I've no, like, It was fine. I've noticed you. that the water in Sterling's gotten better. Like, because when I first moved to Sterling, the water tasted like blood. Sort of, not blood, but it tastes. It had so much metal. It had so much metal in it. It had so much iron in it that it was like, like. Have you ever actually looked at the water quality report? Mm-mm. Yeah, Sterling's water is high in uranium. Just throwing that out there. It's because JCam freaking blew up. <laughs> do, they, do, do they make nukes? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, high in uranium i didn't even know kansas had uranium deposits well i mean it's there's small particles of it oh it's one of them things where they say yeah it's high in uranium but it'll only cause you cancer like 70 years down the road it's no big deal perfect yeah i mean seriously read one it's from the missile silos yeah well dude in (laughs) clive i could just imagine clive's (laughs) opening up and a missile coming out of it You want some coffee with that? <laughs> We're gonna deliver you so much coffee. <laughs> it's a coffee nuke. Uh, the um, in Yoder, the old military base out there, they buried a bunch of uh, ordnance out there, and now my parents have to have like a really expensive water filtration system because they do groundwater because it's so. Contaminated. Contaminated. Well, I wondered because my dad works at the academy. Mm. And so I was always curious of what they'd find because they they built a multi-million dollar driving facility out there. And I was always curious what, you know, when they were digging stuff up to make that facility what they'd find. There's like some cool stuff out there. I've kind of wanted to go exploring out there. I know it's probably illegal and I'll probably get the feds called on me, but. Uh, it's not it's not a federal thing anymore. State There's owned. no fed. I, there's like a big. My uh, a friend of mine owns some land out there, and there's like on the corner of his land, there's like this big like tower with like it's got that round ball on top of it. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've always wanted to go up in there. You can. It's what private. It? It's what private property. It? Well, that's probably like a weather, old weather station. Like mm. when KWCH shows you, hey, here's the weather. That's what that is. Okay. Interesting. Or a radar. I was always kind. like, it's a missile silo, dude. <laughs> dude, do you know where any of those, like, uh, I know there's like some of those, uh, like, um, Mitchell. The, yeah, the missile silos that they've converted into like bunkers. Those are cool. I've I'd like to. Those. Well, actually, there's, that one, there's that one, one Mitchell they wanted yeah. to. Oh, there's, did they where? actually finish it? No, there's there's one like a missile silo east of Lyons. Yeah, like ten miles. Mm-hmm. I should go check that out. <laughs> it, it's we, on it's on private property too. Yeah, sweet. So I mean, technically, you're criminally trespassing. But. I think it's for sale. But yeah, if, you can buy it. But if you go with me, yeah, that's not how that works. <laughs> you don't get to violate the law because the cops are with you. That's not how that works at all. <laughs> We have a search warrant for this missile silo. <laughs> yeah, just because we want to search it for fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's mainly, that's how search warrants work, right? Mainly, you just yeah. like I want to have. I just wanted to check it out. That's a that's a discussion for when the microphone's off. But um, <laughs> it's uh, uh, there's trust me, there's more to that story. But it's mainly full of water. I've heard. I've never. I've not been in there. I mean, it's so it's so deep underground that it's just full of water. Mm. Not really anything to see. Yeah, I wonder how they kept that from filling up with water. It's like pumps. continually pumped it. Yeah, because his water table is so high over there. Shit, not as high in Sterling. Sterling's only like seventeen feet. It's where my not I get water at. Not even that, dude. Six, seven foot. Well, my mine at my house was seventeen. Okay, and I'm not in the and I'm when, not in the floodplain. That's, that's dug, for a well. Yes. So that is to drinkable water. <laughs> There's water a lot closer to the surface. Well, this is we this dug, is for my sprinkler system. When mm-hmm. we dug dug for Clive's sewer. And we, when we got to the main, we were hitting the water table, which is like six foot down, seven foot down. Oh, wow. So that's just in the That's alley. why you can't have a basement in Sterling. That's just pretty the much. alleyway behind, behind Clive's. Well, unless, yeah. unless, again, you have a pump that's continually pumping. Yeah. When we had those rainstorms like a few years ago real bad, mm-hmm. I had like I had like water in this basement when I lived in Sterling. Like <laughs> you literally even, like. You didn't even move or touch it or anything. Like, like a foot off the floor, Joyce. It was nuts. So, anyhow. You believe we've been at this for three hours almost? <laughs> Feels good. It's like a Joe Rogan podcast, dude. Is that is that a sign we should be done? I think it's a $20 mic. <laughs> I think it's a $20 mic. I, I think it, I think it's probably just I think <laughs> I think it's just probably the cable. You've gotten it to work before. Just stop touching it. Don't even breathe. No, no noise. <laughs> you literally. <laughs> Closing thoughts, anybody? <laughs> I'm not editing that out. Okay. You literally blowing on the mic is what made it start humming. Remember how much we paid for these <laughs> things. Hey, they worked pretty good. I mean, honestly. The highlight of my night was Nate blowing on that mic. Hard dough. <laughs> firm dough. Are you guys going to make firm dough on the way home? I haven't had enough alcohol in my system for that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks for coming, man. It's been fun. Yeah. I really wish people could have saw your uh, little more crazier side. Maybe it, it might come out. Maybe maybe we'll get him some alcohol in the system and then bring him on the 
yeah. podcast. We'll go to go to Sand Hills first, get some alcohol, and then bring a whole barrel with us. Bring a whole barrel back. Get a couple growlers. Yeah, but he see that. Remember, see, he actually, gets... I did see. Actually, I had a notification pop up. They had a twenty percent off growler refills at Sand Hills today because it's so cold. So, uh, are we going there right now? Uh, they're closed. I would say they're definitely closed Time. by now. It's eleven twenty. I'm so glad I don't have to open the shop tomorrow. <laughs> Nate, I was watching Nate, and he's over here like, uh, I'm getting kind of tired over here, guys. Will you shut up, please? You need, to, you need me to drive home and take a little nap? No. I wouldn't fall asleep near this guy when he's talking about firm dough. <laughs> <laughs> what am I, I'd like to get a handful of that firm dough. <laughs> I need you to bring me coffee to Kenny's. Are you working at Kenny's tomorrow, huh? Yep. Yeah, that was a fun one. Their, their plumbing system is whack. Like, not like... <laughs> that, that's honestly most of the houses in Sterling are that way. No, but this one's like... It's not like bad. It's just like... It's just like... Confusing. Because it's like crooked to the house. So it's like... I have to like use weird angles and stuff <laughs> to tie everything in. My buddy was under my house doing some plumbing for me. And he was talking about how mine how was weird was. because uh the sewer lines in my house are copper and he was like the sewer lines yes. like the mains yeah no like uh like some of the i don't know some of the sewer lines or whatever were oh. copper and he thought it was weird that they were copper the smaller ones like inch and a half 2 inch can be but if you want to get up to like the 4 inch it's usually cast oh my gosh i think the mic i think the microphone's like saying hey man i'm tired Well, <laughs> all right, we're getting we're getting the cut it off symbol. So, <laughs> well, once again, thanks for coming on. It was a, it was a good time. We'll definitely have to have you on again. Uh, and we should it. we should do something like where you uh, you read you read us C.S. Lewis and what you think their voices sound like or something. Okay. Maybe I'll bring my pipe next time. That'll be fun. Smoke some tobacco in here, dude. I smoke a pipe for I sure. Smoke for, a pipe. Yeah. Damn. See, uh, we're not wrapping this up yet. Hang on a second. So, what what kind of pipe do you have? Was it made out of? I have a meerschaum. Okay. My wife got me this one with a, a sea captain. I got some stuff you guys can put. Hey, you're hey, you shut you're up talking. You know, plug your mic back in. <laughs> He's getting up and walking. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, dude, I would love to smoke a pipe and talk and tobacco and hell yeah. We could get. Real I'm actually going to do that when I get home. That's like the re- first thing I'm doing. We get really philosophical. That'd be um, fun. so I found a new technique of cleaning my pipe and. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, so know. anyway, I found a new technique of cleaning my pipe with uh, um, alcohol, like just your everyday whatever your alcohol it is that you choose. <laughs> um, so I I take a, I took twelve year old scotch and just clean the pipe out, use pipe cleaner and all that other good stuff, and it was really fantastic. You would take you wasted a twelve year old scotch to clean your pipe? No, I had like that much left in the bottom of a oh, bottle. Okay. I couldn't even really get a, a a swig of it. So oh, that's fair. And it tasted really freaking good when I was done. It was you great. Drank it afterwards? No, the pipe. Oh, the, the pipe and the tobacco. Like it was really clean and it was really great. I bet you'd had a some some uh, scotchy taste to it. Actually, not really. It was mainly just tasting just the tobacco versus yeah. the crappy sugar. I feel like stuff it was just light on fire. Whole pipes just on fire. <laughs> just covered in. Scotch. I let it. I let it dry. Oh, let it dry. oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But um, I get. Where do you get your tobacco from? Uh, there's a place called the Humidor in Wichita. That's where I get mine from too. What yeah. are you What are you smoking right now? I don't even remember. 
See, the thing is, <laughs> is I only do it like once a month. I, I do at least two bowls a day. Two bowls a day. Two bowls a day. What a what a stoner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I like their uh, I like their one Q. I like Founding Fathers. Mm. Yeah, um, I've had that one. Uh, the Irish whiskey or whatever is kind of meh. Uh, uh, there's one other one. There's like Autumn something that was good. At berries and cream is good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I like it a lot oh, better than. Hey, psh, Mike. Mike man, man with no mic who deserves no mic. Um. <laughs> uh, I like it way better than a than a, than a cigar. Yeah. I like a good stogie, but I prefer a pipe significantly to a stogie. Yeah, same. It's just so much smoother. Agreed. Mine's made out of uh, pear, pear wood, I think is what mine's made out of. I just bought it from like Amazon. It was like a kit thing. Dude, um, I, I kind of want to go on eBay and get some like used old ones. Cause, and like, clean them up. Yeah, clean them up. And like, because like new pipes, you kind of got to break them in. Mm-hmm. So, well, they, uh, another way was like taking really coarse salt. And putting it down on the bowl of the pipe, hmm. and then filling and f- not filling the bowl with alcohol, but taking alcohol enough that it soaked into the salt, so the salt was, you like know, covered like covered in it, yeah. But not to where you had like liquid standing in the bowl, and then letting it set for twenty four hours, and then that was kind of help with the break in and cleaning process and stuff like that. Interesting of older pipes. So anyway, we went down that rabbit hole. So anyway, let me just go ahead and wrap this up because we're at three hours. So. Hey, everybody. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Higher Points podcast. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and listening to Ethan, listen to us. We're really looking forward to some more uh, ratings and reviews. And if it's great, let us know. If it's terrible, let us know. By all means, we love to have that feedback to be better. Uh, you can check us out at thehigherpoints.com, on Instagram at thehigherpoints, and on Facebook at the Higher Points podcast. We'll catch up with you guys next time, and uh, have a great day. So instead of the typical outro music that we give with the podcast, we wanted to share a little bit of the music Ethan talked about during his time on our podcast. So that'll be the outro music. Just give us a couple minutes. And we did this with his permission. We enjoyed it. We just wanted to share a little bit of it with you. Enjoy.